As surfers, we have a natural love for the ocean, being in the water and chasing thrills. Surfing and surf culture is at the core of Loose. We are a brand made for all-day thrill seekers, experience makers, and good time chasers. Inspired by the elements of surf that excite us the most, we create products begging for adventure, both into the water and out of the water. There's no stamp of approval needed to vibe with our tribe. So drop your inhibitions and get loose because fun feels better. Loose towels. Since 1991, Caballero Pools and Spas has been dedicated to creating an outdoor living space that will provide endless hours of fun and entertainment for an entire family. They specialize in offering excellent service and delivering top quality craftsmanship at a reasonable price. They will transform your yard into something unique and distinctive, a customized masterpiece that reflects your individual preferences. Their experience will ensure that your new backyard is something you will be proud of for years to come. Whether it's a minor project or a large master plan, Caballero Pools and Spas will help you get there. Check them out at cabpools.com or reach them at mark at cabpools.com or call 714-309-2890. This episode is brought to you by our friends at Neon Wave. Neon Wave is an internationally local shop, a concierge to the modern nomad. They bring together carefully chosen surf, fashion, art, and snowboarding gear with a curatorial eye that's drawn to the best of the best, technicality, creativity, and sustainability. Their team is born from nature, raised by the wave, and nurtured by the culture they support. This is Neon Wave. We look forward to moving forward. Check them out at thisisneonwave.com. Earth Packed, customized, eco-friendly retail and e-com packaging since 1989. In a time of increasing environmental awareness, Earth Pack is an advanced supplier of affordable recycled packaging for businesses of all sizes. Earthpack provides custom products and services and continues promoting sustainability while fulfilling the individual packaging needs of eco-friendly retailers nationwide. Check them out at earthpack.com. Friends and family, brothers and sisters, welcome to the Late Night with Chalky podcast. Our guest this week is an artist, a painter, a collector, a designer, and surfer. Through his artistic process of hand-drawn, hand-painted, and hand-stitched, he combines topography, stencils, tea stains, worn canvas, and felt to create a unique mementos and keepsake that connect people to their spots they treasure most. Yes, from Malibu to Montauk, Yosemite to Yellowstone, to backdoor to bowls, his handcrafted flags celebrate the appreciation and personal connection to these special places. We are excited to hear about how this Detroit Great Lakes surfer ended up in Newport Beach with a successful beach brand. We welcome the talented Mr. Scott Slightly Choppy. We like it glassy, but slightly choppy's okay too. <laughs> Richards. Yeah. Welcome, Scott. Ooh. Nice. Slight, yeah. Slightly choppy makes it better for airs, right? Not yeah, always. It's he's probably in the wind. Uh, yeah, like wow, you guys nailed it. Chop pops. He's pretty good at. You intros. nailed it. That's you know, I kind of plagiarize your site. I kind of reword it and kind of group it together to That's make it look perfect. cool. But good like, job. Little plagiarism. You know, Malibu to Montauk. You know, kind of like cool. You know, alliteration there. Yeah. So nice wait, work. Yosemite to Yellowstone. Kind of Detroit, cool. Michigan. Yeah, I, I knew that would stand out. Yeah, I knew that would stand out. Yes. So you were born and raised. So I was born in Cincinnati, Ohio, but raised just outside of Detroit. 
so I was landlocked. Of course, we had lakes there. But yeah, I was far from the ocean as a kid. I'd spend summers vacationing in California. So in the early mid-80s, we were vacationing out here and I got the little surf bug. And so I had a paper route. I delivered the Detroit News. I um, shoveled... You're, da- you're dating yourself? But like <laughs> yeah, exactly. Is- Reading the paper. Uh, shoveled driveways and snow and raked leaves and mowed lawns to go to Pasquit Surf Camp. So in the mid-80s, I flew out here to L.A. where David Pasquitz picked me up, took me down to San Onofre, and they had a surf camp, the whole Pasquitz family. And so that How was probably, I was 14, 15, probably 15 years old. Wow. So that was the summer of 86, I'm guessing. How did you find out about, the camp? like, what were you coming out here? Family trips and just... Family trips, yeah, yeah exactly. And they, you're like, I want to And then I saw a brochure at, like, the local surf shop somewhere. And it was, and I think I still have it, you know, like a little eight and a half by 11 folded thing. And it told you that, you know, what's, what's included in the week of, of camp and how to fly into. You picked the best surf camp to go to. Well, I, I I don't think I knew. Yeah. Okay. We're going to pause. We have fighter jets over us. Fighter jets. We're at Huntington Beach Air Show is going on. This is a practice run. Sorry, guys, but no. So selling point, I think, besides you know, not really knowing the Pasquitz family and the history at the time, but seeing that Matt Archibald could potentially be there and Dino and Dino, and and they were going to take us to a few shops and things like that. That to me, coming from Detroit, I was like, this sounds amazing. So how did you know about Dino and Dino and Surf Magazine? Okay, so yes, I was probably one of the only people in Michigan who subscribed to both Surfer and Surfing Magazine. That's amazing. Delivered to my front door there in Detroit, and I was probably one of the few who read every word, every image, front to back. Every uh, single no, issue. you weren't the only one. We all did. Yeah, yeah exactly. Times. In Michigan. No, yeah, in Michigan for sure. <laughs> and so my, my claim to fame, and I can't remember which issue, I'm, I'm pretty sure it was Surfer, I can't remember the year, but I was in a small competition on Lake Michigan. It was the Great Lakes Surfing Association. We had a Contest. I got fourth place, and I got my name printed in the back. Sick. In uh, the in black and white, probably, little yeah. performers little section, most likely. So yeah. that was my little claim to fame, and it was. Those I, were the best. Like getting your name in that, and like you know the status. You can like, see the results and the status and so all that. Did you see surfing in Michigan first or in California? Oh, California for okay. sure. But then there was a guy, David Irwin, I think was his name, and we uh, somehow befriended each other when I was at that contest. I think it was Grand Haven, Michigan. So it's on Lake Michigan side. Um, and I got his address. He sent me a photo and a letter in the mail. We just stayed in touch. So he sent me a photo of, you know, two foot wind slop, um, him surfing on it. And I was like, well, this is really happening. But you could imagine the ridicule I got being a surfer in Detroit. Yeah. Oh, crazy. From, from everybody. From yeah. Every friend. My dad's friends, like every grown up was just like, wait, what? So when you first came to California, California, right? Yep. yep. And then saw surfers, you were hooked. And were you skateboarding already or yeah. was skateboarding yeah. a scene? I was, was skateboarding. Scene? I could swim really well. But then I came out here in the late 80s. So 89, I moved out here and um, was just surfing every single day. So I did sign up to go to college. I was going to... Um, SCC over by the fairgrounds, which is now Vanguard, that college there. And 
I was just surfing every day, twice a day, just going, 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 just kind of befriending the surfers that were in school, you know, there at college and was just hooked. And that's all I did was just surf, yeah. surf, surf. So how was it? Did you only surf in the summertime in Detroit no. or, or Michigan? Or? No, it's, it's, it's literally spring, fall, occasional winter. So you need large wind yeah. fetches to really blow it up. So it's it's wind That's transitional swell. Season, it's but... not long period ground swell or anything like that. Yeah. It's a storm is coming. It's going to blow through. And then the last couple hours, as the winds, as the storm blows through, you've got some residual wind swell that can be a little cleaner. Yeah. I never got it too clean. I went back about three or four years ago, picked up a buddy in Detroit. We drove out to Lake Michigan. We actually got some swell and it was it was intense it was intense it's cold yeah. is there, full is there, dry suits is there like a, a lineup now with guys in there oh there's yeah. a full lineup that's People what i mean like when you were thing. at 14 yeah. going back there there's nobody a handful yeah. nobody do you follow ben gravy oh yeah for sure do you watch his i've seen ben gravy i've seen dylan graves going up the lake superior so lake superior is at stony point i think is the name i don't of know spot. All the spot, sorry but it, yeah uh, the, the footage that Ben Gravy posted, I think it was last year, yeah. of how glassy and kind of perfect. Yeah, the yeah, waves yeah, were yeah. like you're like, what the fuck? That and kind of throws like there's there they can they can yeah. be heavy yeah. and it's fresh water, short, yeah. short intervals to that so fresh water. There's there's a, a bunch of different episodes where they they um, show Michigan and the Great Lakes, and I'm just like, wow, that is incredible. Yeah. Like surfing's blown up. Yeah. And there is a couple like surf shops. Third there are. Coast is what it's called, yeah. right? Yeah, Third Coast. That's down in St. Joseph, which is further south of like Holland, Michigan. Then there's South Haven, Grand Haven, Muskegon. Uh, there's there's a handful of spots that, yeah. you know, there's big jetties that stick out. There's usually lighthouses at the end, rock formations and things like that. Yeah. So it's that, a little more rural further north in Lake Superior. But does, does is there, you know... Trade winds, you know, where the yep. storms come, yeah, yeah. you know, they're coming yep. from northwest, yep. you know, or northeast. Yep. Cross or, Lake Michigan, like, is there, is there yep. like seasons where it's like, hey, this this time of year, the winds come this way, you're going to certain spots, or is it just kind of like... You know what, so well, I was just a young teenager when I was surfing the Great Lakes at that time. I, my meteorology and surf forecasting is but a I'm lot just, sharper now yeah. than then. Yeah. Um, I don't think winds coming from the offshore would generate swell. Obviously. No, I'm just thinking like Michigan, different. Or Chicago side it would. So it depends where the wind's coming yeah. from. Where the wind's coming yeah. from and which coastline's going to get it. Yeah. And it's very short period. Did you very, surf and that's a a big bit, quite a bit or not that much? Not that much. Okay. Not that much. Because it was like kind of like tornado, storm weather. Yeah. Where everyone's hunkering down versus like, oh no, yeah. we're going to go. We're going to go paddle out in the lake. That's crazy. So it wasn't a lot of times as a kid. Um, my infatuation, like I was studying it more coming here to California yeah. and over the years of... Did, did you own a board or a wetsuit? I had a couple boards I'd bring back with me okay. um, from here in California. And you said David Paskowitz picked you up? Well, when I went to the Paskowitz surf camp, he picked me up at LAX. Hmm. And That's so it was just run by the provided? whole family. Yeah, I had to pay maybe 50 bucks more. Yeah. You know, it was definitely a service yeah. to and from. Yeah. But we camped at uh, San Eleo. Is yeah. that where it was? Cause we, we couldn't camp down at San Onofre. So we had to go up the hill to State Park or something like that. Camp San there. Mateo. San Mateo. Is that what it was? San Mateo. Yeah. yeah. 
San Mateo. So we'd camp there, and then they would shuttle us to Sano every day in the vans. Then we'd walk up to Cotton or up to um, Church, and then Trestles, and how rad! Yeah. So it was, it was amazing. Yeah. And I've got some great photos. You know, hanging out with Moses and Sig, Jonathan. Um, of course, David. David was in Johnny Monster and the Nightmares with Sean Spencer at the time. So all those guys were just too rad. Yeah. You know. That family so it was pretty is cool. gnarly. Like, there's so many good surfers and artists. and Oh, so know. talented. Yeah. Whether they were acting or producing or yeah. surfing. and Yeah. They were doing it Passports. all. So that was cool. So that brought me to, when I finally moved out here to California, trying to go to college, surfing so much, eventually dropped out of school. Um, just kind of, I didn't, I, I didn't know what I was quite doing, except I knew I loved surfing and traveling. Went to Mexico. Spent a lot of time in Mexico. Mm-hmm. How can you not? Like Baja was just as a as a teenager and a young twenties. I was Mexico was just the place. Were yeah. you a good student? Like a, a, as a high school student? Like what were your yeah, passions? I was decent. You know, I was decent. You're, I mean, you're an you know artist. Were you... So I was an artist, but I was also scholastic. But I wasn't. You know, I could get A's if I really applied myself, and I was lucky enough to get A's and B's for just getting by. But coming out to California was okay. I got to go to college and make mom and dad happy, yeah, right? Yeah, get those yep, classes out of the way, yep. but I want to be in the Mecca surf. Yeah. Right yeah. What what was your aspiration for career? I wanted to go into cinematography. I love mm-hmm. movies. I love film. I love storytelling. Um, so coming out here, it just never really clicked. I don't want to blame any counselor or whatever, but it was just never lined up and going through general ed, it was too easy to sit out in the lineup when the waves are good, it was like, I'm not going to class. <laughs> so I, I, I bailed on school for a good year or so and then started dating a local chick that we were talking about here in Huntington or local lady. Um, and so we were dating and her dad was questioning me hard about what I was doing. And so he was basically like, if you want to date my daughter, I suggest you get back into school. It was pretty harsh on it. Yeah, that's awesome. And so I'll I remember there. my wife and I were so, just like, "Go ahead." I, um, so you you wanted to get into film, media, TV. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Like TV, like Hollywood style. Sure. Yeah, I think so. I mean, now, that's probably the aspiration goal. But you know, you got to get in somewhere. Was there anybody that you knew that was in that industry? No, or? nobody, nobody. Because. Okay. To do that, it seems like you have to live in like L.A., right? Hollywood style. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. But being in Detroit, I I thought it was going to be close. Yeah. I mean, I'm coming all the way out here to the yeah. West Coast. Yeah, you look at like, the map and the freeway. Like, it's yeah. just up the street. Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. It's just up the street. What, what college is in L.A.? What college is in uh, <laughs> by, by Newport Beach? Okay, I'll take that one. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> well, yeah, and then you factor in traffic and you're like, yeah, that's not really... You know, conducive. But I'm telling living. you, when you're in your young 20s, you're not even, you're not thinking about that. Sure. About At least I wasn't. Yeah. I wasn't thinking so about that. Did you rent an apartment or were you in a dorm? You or? know what? So I bus tables and delivery driver for Tony Roma's in Newport. That's sick. So I was at Tony Roma's for years. That's where I met my wife. And then went and parked cars at the Yankee Tavern in Newport Beach. So I was just renting studio apartments yeah. all around the beach. Thirty second Street. How good Street. was that job, and how good was that money? <laughs> yeah, it was really, it was really good. Right, especially like, parking cars in Newport. It was Tony Romo's was kind of a thing. Yeah. back then it was yeah. kind of a popular, popular spot. Happened in popular yeah. spot. Yeah, and delivering ribs in the Newport Beach area it was like people would order, you know, the baby back ribs with the 
the, the onion ring loaf and things like that. And so I would just, you know, cruise around Newport, checking That's out maps. That's kind of a sick job. Getting access into Big Canyon and yeah. Harbor Island and learned the neighborhood and learned about Newport Beach and stuff like that. So it was pretty cool. Yeah. And you get to surf in the day or go to school. So that's what I did. That was the program. That was the program. It wasn't as bougie as it is now. Right? No. Yeah. Oh, no. Newport? Oh, no. Yeah. Not everything. Even, doesn't even compare. Yeah. yeah. No, everything. Even around here. Like, it's got Huntington bougie. everywhere is this guy. So much, <laughs> we'll save that for money. another podcast. Yeah. <laughs> I'll bite my tongue right now. No. What, what, when you came out, like, did you click with some other surfers? Like, where did you go get your board from? Like, what shop? And Yeah, that's a good question. So there was a guy, Jorge Galento. Galento? Is that his last name? There at SEC. And he was um, like a psychology major. And he was at SEC for many years. And he was surfing all the time. There were a handful of guys I was just clicking with there at school. So when they saw me surf every day, they would invite me. And so I just kind of gravitated to other surfers and such. So whenever I had the chance, I'd be, I'd be in the water. So dating... My chick, not work or not going to school, working, no career path. That was when my wife and I, my girlfriend at the time, we were racking our brain about what I was going to do. Yeah. Which is funny. It's such a crazy turning point in in life. And you're what, twenty four, twenty three? Yeah, good guy. I was probably twenty two. Twenty two. So almost there. Almost yeah. there. But, and, how, but how great is life right there? Oh, it was awesome. Valley parking, it was awesome. <laughs> delivering ribs. What do you mean grow up and surfing. be responsible? This is fine. This this is, is I'm fine. happy doing this every day. I was doing pretty well. <laughs> um, but she was like, you know what? You draw all the time. I'm doodling. You know, it's one thing to see someone sketching all the time. But then to figure out, like, go to college, make a living at being an artist. So unheard. Not unheard of, but wasn't like a common yeah. thing. Like, my son's going to be an attorney or a... Dentist. Yeah, there's or, not a clear-cut path. You yeah, got to have a lot of. Not at all. You got to have a lot of things go in your favor. Yeah. yeah. So I remember uh, taking my drawings, going to Otis Parsons up in LA for a portfolio review nice. day, and I took all my little doodles and things that I was proud of, and um, took it up. And a lady looked at me and goes, "If you're serious about this, get out your notepad. This is the classes you got to start taking." So instead of ripping my portfolio apart, she just like set it to a side and just made a list of everything I need to do, classes I need to take, color, design, she saw talent, 2D, 3D. But she, needed to she get saw you. talent, she saw passion, she saw probably how naive I was into whatever the path was or what degrees there were. And she kind of just made an outline for me and said, this is what you got to go do before you go to university, yeah. so it's design Otis school. Parker, Otis Parsons. Otis Parsons is an art school? It's an art school in L.A., okay. art and design in, in L.A. And how did you hear about that? So, Somebody. I don't know. Someone someone maybe from a community college told me or something. But I went and did that, and then the plan was to go to OCC to build up my portfolio before I can get into an art school. So I did OCC for about a year and a half, two years, and that was the most exciting, fun. I was so focused. <laughs> Fighter jets. Can this pick that up? It's pretty rad. Oh, yeah. It'll pick, pick it up. It'll pick it up. Pretty rad. Um, so OCC, and I was taking all these 2D, 3D, color design, life drawing, cartooning, um, history of rock and roll, history of art and design, 
these classes were fantastic. It was some of the best years of my life getting to, I was just really into it. When you, when you, can I interrupt? So you, you go to this counselor, she puts out a roadmap for you. Now, is there a, a career at the end? Like, is there a job in, in mind? Wow. Like, were you thinking, okay, if I do this, graphic I'm artist, do this. you know, working for market marketing? Like, <laughs> you, know, you know, I don't even think I had that dialogue, or not just the dialogue, but that idea in my head of where I was going to go. Yeah, isn't I, it funny though? Like when you think about it, like because when you talk about I'm early, going to school, young, but not really the lawyer, the doctor. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a, a career path. And a job at oh, the end for of, sure. of school for sure. that everyone has in mind, like, okay, I'm going to go to school for this, and this is what I'm do for work. So, remember, I was an aspiring surfer in Detroit wanting to surf, right? <laughs> so, I've always been this little dreamer that, yes, I'm grounded, but I was kind of like, well, that idea is kind of out there. Yeah. So, I think with going to art school, it was just a dream of, hey, I'm going to be in the moment. I'm going to just learn and work and, and uh, refine my skills and see where I had no idea where it was going to yeah. go and where it was going to take me to. Yeah. So doing OCC for a couple of years, started, started to apply for scholarships and schools and things like that. I ended up going to um, Laguna Beach Art and Design. It's called LCAD. So it was called Art Institute of Southern California down in Laguna Beach. And it's a school tucked away in the canyon. And it's really... When I went in the late 90s, it was pretty much a, like a, a painter's school. Mm -hmm. You think of Laguna Beach and the artist yeah, colonies yeah. and all that. So this was applied art. canvas, like the full refinement. It was either landscapes, figurative. Mm -hmm. It was just really focused on the fine arts. And so I went for drawing and painting as my career. I left as a graphic designer, visual communicator. I love to put type and story and image and no matter what the medium was i was always trying to convey concepts and ideas and things like that so mm. i started painting and drawing and that's where my focus was but everybody there at school was pushing me into hey we've got some new computers over here and some new desktop publishing and graphic design and all that yeah. so i kept putting words and images and all that together and graphic design from an old school perspective of you know, laying down Ruby Lith and doing graphic design analog style was not even part of my language, if you will. You were already on that cusp of the technology version of art. Yeah. And so, like I said, this was the mid-90s. And so computer technology and digital design was just Illustrator starting. It was pretty yeah. crude. Who, did you have artist influences that you kind of got inspiration from? Like, who was there artists that you, you, like, you looked up to? So I had the book, the, um, the Art of Rock and Roll, and it was all psychedelic posters. <laughs> so it's, it sounds so cliche now to say Rick Griffin was like a huge influence, but no, really. One the first the gift yeah. my wife ever bought me in the mid-90s was Tales from the Tube, and that comic book was something I just could not like let go of. Mesmerizing. Yeah. Like... So between his illustration, his typography, seeing that a bunch of psychedelic artists could take Art Nouveau and turn it into rock and roll yeah. posters and things yeah. communicating that were out on the street and stuff like that. That concept was so interesting to me. So my early influences was definitely 
psychedelic posters, illustration mixed with letter hand lettering, yeah. things like that. And I'm much less in the um, you know text or typography now that's illegible. I think then it was it was supposed to play tricks on your eye. Like, what is that? And, What's and, going on? And Let play me play with you now. Yeah, I need and, to stare um, at this for a little bit. No, I, I I love that. Um, talking about art sometimes because it's it's subjective but you know good art when you see mm, it right mm-hmm. and those artists that you're talking about rick griffin and gosh um and all the album covers you know oh like, yeah for sure those i forget the book that um that uh i used to have it was like a book of album covers yeah and yeah, you're, yeah. i mean you can look at that thing fucking oh all you know all, all the time long. yeah and like led zeppelin and yeah. you know so many the beatles like there's so many well whether they were paintings or collages yeah. or photography illustrations yeah um graphic design and art has been you know all through culture all yeah. through our lives and every aspect of it we just don't think about it and yeah. so that was cool to see the real world applications of where I could go with with art and it kind of and just being in school it's kind of like you're not getting paid to learn but I loved school the academic approach to you know getting an assignment get to run away for uh, 24 hours or whatever and just try to come up with something and and then you would be up against everyone else you know they're you know they jury it and critique it and pretty harsh critiques and and art school which but is that also cool. pushes you too you know yeah, at the totally same time. pushes you so i had it was so much fun being yeah. involved in that and then of course living in newport driving down to laguna surfing as much as i could i was pretty much living my best life at that time it was fantastic <laughs> yeah. going back to those like surf mags you know you were talking about just surf fan you're looking at reading yeah. the stories yeah, yeah, and all yeah. the photos was, was your mind working looking at ads too and like kind of like like as you're developing your you know, craft, craft. Yeah. Like, are you looking at like, oh, that's a cool ad, or yeah, that's kind of cheesy. I mean, everybody has you know opinion on yeah. art or whatever, yeah. but that's yeah, yeah. what they're selling. You know, yeah. they're selling products. And, and did you ever think maybe I could work for a magazine? Or well, I think you guys are on to the story. Okay. The, 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 the narrative for sure is where it went. I I don't think all I didn't know at that time when I was in art school that all those years of looking at surf magazines yeah. and just like you said, uh, looking at the ads, looking at the editorial, the type headlines and things like that, all that was just dialogue in my head, just a library of of images, of board graphics, of yeah. wetsuit colors and block up, you know, blockouts and things like that. All that was just stuff that when I would illustrate and draw and do things, it was reference that just intuitively would just come out into my work and so finishing art school and graduating um i got a job pretty quickly out but before of the job sorry you got you went to occ and these like community colleges yep, yep was otis uh parsons expensive and was that that school and yeah. you know art school in laguna i don't know what you yep yep you LCAD. know like how do you lcad lcad like LCAD. how do you your parents help funding or are you just working and and funding no, scholarships i fully funded the whole thing myself because that's you know your yeah. good question it's a good investment you know if it's somebody else's dollar you're, uh, you know i'll yeah, try yeah, it yeah. out but if you're no you know, you're yeah. like I'm i committed. paid every every cent of my school you can you you call my parents otis though no so there was otis there was art 
Center. There was Cal Arts. Mm. All those are prominent schools here in Southern California. I couldn't afford those schools. Yeah, I couldn't afford to drop. You know, it's probably like I don't know, sixty, eighty grand a year now. There, I would guess. Um, And so LCAD was a bargain. It was a fraction of the cost at that point. And I knew I could still get a BFA, a Bachelor of Fine Arts. I could still be close to home. Yeah. We'd still be close to the beach. Still surf. Still surf. <laughs> eat at Taco Bell off Sleepy Hollow. And it yeah. was just like, you know, that was, it was just, it fit the lifestyle too well. And so, yes, it would have been a great education to go to yeah. one of those other schools. I couldn't afford it. Didn't want to drive there. Yeah. And so it just made sense. I have no regrets whatsoever, you know? Yeah. I mean, a, a, a paper from a college, you know, depending on, you know, it does help like what, yeah. You know, yeah. what's that stamp on that for sure you know? for sure but you know a degree hey it's a commitment that guy accomplished or girl you know they yeah. went through they got a degree in your body of work your portfolio like yeah. it's it's so many little things that kind of you know make you a whole package absolutely for sure like you could be you know you could skate through or you could be <laughs> you know something no i was talented. pretty you know taking those it took me eight years to finish college yes i said that um <laughs> I went for seven and never finished. <laughs> but I was ready. By the time I finished, I was ready to like, let's do this. I was yeah. ready to get to work. I was ready to do good work. You matured. I wanted to see yeah. where things, yeah, matured. And it was, you know, and at the time, sometimes you can go through some of your best days of your life. We try to teach this to our boys all the time. Like, enjoy these days. Don't feel like you have to work or the debt you're building or blah, blah, blah. Like, oh, enjoy yeah. it. You're going to look back at it and like, dang. Not that I had it so easy, but it's like these, you're not going to be any younger. You're not going to be any, any more free with less responsibilities. Yeah. Just, just, just take it, just savor it and enjoy it. You yeah. know, we got your back kids. Yeah. Got your back. Yeah. To an extent. Look out for you. <laughs> so yeah. So that's up to art school, which I loved and I was a good student, built up a good portfolio. And then I had to go pound the pavement and start looking to see where I wanted to go. And I... I started looking at design studios and ad agencies and I think the school was pushing you into places they thought and then I don't know how I heard about McElroy Communications. So I worked for Tom McElroy, Tim Garrett, Tim Richardson, Eddie Anaya, Andrew Schmitz. What a small world. Tiffany Seal, Paul Schulte, who else was there? Brian Fisher. Dang. Um, it was an amazing crew. Uh, we were all like in our 20s, maybe yeah. early 30s. Like McElroy Communications. So, our, our, so I got hired. Uh, to tell you the truth, I showed up with my portfolio. I had a shirt and tie on. And I think they all had a double take when they, when they saw me walk in the door. And, they, and I remember Tom McElroy was like, don't ever wear a tie in here again. <laughs> Did you pull um, up though? We need a board in a wetsuit. Yeah, exactly. With, with people's wetsuits hanging out. On oh the yeah, absolutely, yeah. absolutely. So that, little did I know that was just the saltiest um, crew of, of talent that I was walking into, and I didn't quite know what I was in for, but I knew a I needed a job, and I knew that. Hey, cool! These guys surf, and it might be a cool fit. Have you ran yeah. into them before surfing, or well, no? Oh, them? Yeah. Um, I don't think I recognized any of them mm. from the water. 
was such a weird mix of people from different areas and stuff like, like that. It was like you walked in, you're like, dude, I've seen you in a while. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You snake know, yeah. like yeah, people. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, right? exactly. I may have seen a couple of them in, in New Part of the Jetties, but most of them either were in Huntington or further South County and stuff yeah. like that. But there were a couple of them in the, in the area for sure. Yeah. So had the interview or had the... So yeah. I got hired. How, I got hired how did you this. find out about them? I can't remember how I found out. It was just a, you know, when you're in your senior year, you're making a laundry list of potential places you want to go to. I think they popped up as a local design studio ad agency that specializes in, you know, youth culture. You know, wow. they had such buzzwords, yeah. you know, to sound so professional. But our, our clients at the time were Vans, G-Shock, Mammoth Mountain, K-Rock, um, yeah. Activision, Volcom. <laughs> we even did a few Quicksilver ads and things. You know we had Tom on before. Oh, you did? I didn't know that. I didn't know that. And when Tom, you know, told us the whole thing about working for Vision, you know, Skateway, you know, eventually starting his own thing, it's like, it's so crazy how, you know, how there's, your passion can become your occupation. Yeah, right. absolutely. And you're lucky, not everyone gets to do that, but when you do, you're like, whoa, this is, amazing yeah you know, you're, yeah you're capturing lightning in a bottle that you know yeah. not too many people in this world get to do right for sure for sure and i was so green going in there and they were so patient and you know there was definitely a pecking order and hierarchy of oh you're just a graphic designer and then everyone wanted to be an art director and there were a couple of creative directors yeah. and account executives and it was a bunch of kids just playing agency yeah. you know but um but I'm friends with every single one of them still to this day. Yeah, we still all what stay in touch. What a great little like, and a lot of those guys crew right there. It's a great it's like, crew. Well, not a lot of them, but Tom went to OCC. You know, they, oh, they yeah, all kind of went for there sure. for you know. There's they had a big surf scene there, and for sure. I mean, that's that's what's cool is like here you are, different paths. You know, yeah. going to the same yeah. school, serving the same spots, don't know each other, and you end up working together. And what's yeah. a trip is like here you are, not knowing what you wanted to do, right? And then finding out what you want to do, but not really thinking about where I was going to lead you to. Yeah. As far as like, because yeah. I mean, a job at the end of uh, school is the end goal, right? And then you hear about McElroy Designs and you could have landed in a better ad agency. No. For, and what, I, for your you know, for and what you want to do with your art. For right? sure. And I don't even know if, like, I can reflect back now and go, wow, it was so perfect. But then I was in the middle of it. And sometimes when you're in the middle of it, you're like, hey, I'm stoked to have a job. I want to keep learning more. I want some of these projects. And, like, I didn't realize, you know, the way I do now on how great it was to be surrounded with those people and that opportunity. Yeah. And I was still so green. Just learning, you know, who is really my mentor and the kindest person in the world is Tim Richardson is the one who really saw my potential and he roped me in and he said, Scott, he would just give me projects and he would just be over my shoulder. And this is back when we were on the tools. We had Cork Express as the main layout. And I was like, okay, this is how you open up a spread ad. This is for Surfer. Now save it like this. He'd tell me how to save it. This is how you open up a document. You pull up the rules, you know, for the bleed. And then this is the safe zone. And 
every project started with how to lay out a print ad. Yeah. Because that's all that's all we did. It was all analog then. There were no digital assets and things like that. Yeah, yeah. there's formulas and formats that, you know, you kind of stuck with. Like, you know, the magazine yep. format. Was... Yeah. And he was at Surfing for many years. He was art director for like 10 plus years at Surfing. So Tim knew what he was doing. Um, but we'd prep ads all the time. You could build it for surfer. It worked for surfing. Yeah. Size it a little larger for Transworld, yeah. and you know, and then all the mainstream publications, whether it's Rolling Stone or Spin, or you, you name it. You yeah, know? they were doing stuff outside the the surf. Like, yeah, quite sure. Yeah. yeah, it's exciting because it's an ad agency, and then you know when you when you if you watch Mad Men. Oh, right? such a good show. <laughs> that was so good. And that was like way early. Sure, sure. But I'm sure those those same kind of like antics and, and like parties probably happen at you at McElroy Designs well, as well. You, you want business, you gotta schmooze, you gotta wine yeah, and dine yeah. and you yeah, gotta was, like you know, walk the walk. But yeah, the, the creativity part of, part of it, man, how amazing was that like little ecosystem yeah yeah in that office you know because yeah. well you had Voorhees next door too in that same yep. building which yeah, was right. like you're right you know was another dynamic of that yeah Photo when everything studio, was going that, yeah. yeah Danny Kwok would be over all the time there were definitely characters walking in and out you know we did a project with um Shroff Peter Shroff to where he built these big 3d boxes these dioramas uh-huh. for a Vans campaign and literally, it was like, all right, we're building out the Dave Post. He's an aerial, you know, aerial enthusiast, and let's have NASA be the theme of it. And everything was spaceships and Dave boosting air. And then he would put a couple of cut up painted shoes in the the box, and then we'd photograph it and stuff like that. And yeah. so, yeah, the collaboration between the people inside, outside the agency, um, it was pretty raw, pretty intuitive. Yeah. We would get in boardrooms and, and play ad agency pitching brainstorm sessions and all that. But it, it, at the end of the day, it was um, we were scrappy. We were just kind of just going for it. We were yeah. just a bunch of creatives and artists and people with a lot of knowledge, whether it's from skating or surfing or art exhibits and things, just all mashing up music, of course. Well, when yeah. you're a professional or you're, you're executing on what you guys preach and putting out good product, like... Those are kind of just resi- now you got residual like, you know, accounts. Yeah, you yeah. Know, it's like Here, exactly. Here's what we got. Okay, we got twelve of this this year. We got yeah. six of it. You know, now it's like. So was there a campaign that you came up with or a art layout that you? Yeah, came up there with were a few. That- yeah, for sure. We um, let's see what some of the stuff I was working on. Some things for Activision and Titus software which were like video game companies Mm -hmm. and they were launching superman the video game which (laughs) sounds like yeah yeah sure it's been around forever but then being a video game superman was like a big entity working with dc comics having to pitch a campaign going to new york pitch it and it was just like this is bonkers right yeah and they have so they're like they have well they have style guides and rules and regulations what you can do what you can't do They've got they've got budget. We shot it at Paramount Studios up in Hollywood, so that was cool. Um, we did snowboard campaigns for Vans, ad campaigns for G Shock. Trying to think, then we would do a lot of broadcasts. We did a lot of TV commercials. Oh wow! And so we did. You know, broadcast was a big deal. Outdoor was a big deal. So we did stuff for was it Star FM? What what's 
98.7 set star mm. I don't remember yeah we did ad campaigns mm. and billboards for for that radio station um, hard rock hotel and casino in Vegas so when we had some successful and <laughs> yeah um, kind of core endemic campaigns it was easy to just start when these larger outside mainstream corporations start seeing what this little salty core group is doing within youth culture it was so easy to pick up other clients. Yeah. And so that's when Tom and Tim were hitting the pavement and going out and pitching and we were winning clients all the time. Yeah. So, um, well, so that lasted for out, a few years. Yeah. Kind of those guys are think outside the box. They're not the traditional, like, like you said, youthful and edgy and willing to take risks. Yeah. And I mean, that's surfers, I feel like. Right? You know, it yeah. sounds so cliche, but it's, you know, instead of knowing that, hey, we know the demographic, it was like, we are the demographic. Yeah. I know that sounds like such a buzzword or cliche, but it was true. It was like, hey, we're just making things that we respond to and what we like and what our peers like. So we just knew it'd work. Yeah. You know? Well, it's funny when you think about an ad agency or advertising agency, there's more to it than just the art, right? Like these companies, they come to you to tell them what they should promote yeah yeah and, yeah and you know some it's sometimes it's the other way around but for the most part it's like if you're an, a good agent agency you're going to kind of direct their their campaign yeah and they and what if you hit it out of the park you know you got them for life yeah you know or for, just sure. for a long time until you fuck up but yeah but that's how you you know attract more customers right absolutely and you know i'm sure you guys had to do like research and um r&d yep you yep. know like and 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 do studies and surveys okay why do you buy why is vans popular and, and that's why, why is, yeah no you're bringing up something good is that that's where i really started learning in the real world even though in art school you have an assignment and you're executing on this or that but when you're in the real world and all of a sudden you have to solve a problem, there was a brief. And when that creative brief comes across the, the table to give into the creative department to like, hey, we need copywriters, illustrators, photographers, blah, blah, yeah. blah. We had to come up with concepts. And it's concepts that are a creative way of solving a problem, what it was. And so the marketers and the people working with yeah. the client would put together a brief and a strategy to really, this isn't, we're not just making art. And yeah. that's where it was new to me to where, hey, this is just not just applied art and something decorative on your yeah. wall. This is the creative process trying to sell product or an idea or a service or yeah. something like that. So love it, hate it. I, you know, it, yeah. it was something I enjoyed for many years. Yeah. Um, I find that really interesting because when you, you know, at face value, you're looking at, at, at art. But behind that art is, you know, more research and development, you know? If you have really good art, but then you have really good research and development, that's what creates the art. Absolutely. You know, you're like, oh, that's why they did that. That's why they went with that font or that color or that music because it all guides the consumer, you know, yeah. to buy that product. Yeah, brand messaging, but yes, you can't copy you know what other people are doing too yeah. so you got to kind of 
get inspiration from yep. the competitors yep. or yep. what's happening on trade, like, but do yep. it within like it's like when you hear so hard. I didn't know it. It's like I did. I watched that commercial and I didn't know I, I wanted it, but now I need it. You know, <laughs> yeah. it's like subliminal. You, yeah. yeah, it's subliminal, <laughs> and like that's what art or not yeah. art, but advertising does. Absolutely. It's like it has to subtly convince you that you need to buy that product there's right? a great documentary or, or film called art and copy and it's 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 see to where both crafts you know between the message in in the copy aspect of it and then the art whether it's you know something full decorative or it's Super you simple. know like volkswagen it's just just show the product it's yeah. just a volkswagen beetle sitting on a white page with just a few words yeah you know, it's, it's, you know, your concepts can be mild, wild, it could be decorative, it could be simple, it could be timeless, whatever. It's, um, it's cool to see that so many different approaches, um, and applications and mediums can be applied to that. Were you making, uh, I mean, so you're working Tony Aromas, doing some ballet, whatever, and you get this job out of college where you kind of like, I could not wait to like turn in my notice. I felt so like making. You're like I got a nine to five job. (laughs) I can't tell you what I was making because it's embarrassing. What I what my first job was for sure. What I was making as a professional, quote unquote. Yeah, and that's what I'm saying. It's like you're better off valley parking and yeah, exactly. And the chick and the chick slash you know wife, future wife. Yeah. Made, made, made the in-laws happy. She was happy. Totally. You're, you're it going. was good. We were living large. <laughs> and that was, the, that was the late 90s. And I uh, was at McElroy for a long time. Six years, you said? I, I don't remember how many years. Three or four years. Oh, okay. Because eventually they were going through, uh, McElroy was going through some potential acquisition interviewing and things like that. And that's when I was starting to kind of sense what was happening. And I was just like, this isn't something I want to stick with. Um, I I felt like I wasn't being challenged enough artistically. It was really the advertising of it is a little soul sucking. It's not for everybody to create that. And when I would be at a grocery store and open up the magazine to a spread that I worked 200 hours on and I go, Whoa, look what I look, look, hon, look what I did. She's like, what you did? You did what? Yeah. And it was just like, you can't sit there and explain all the meetings and sketches and conversations and debates and arguments going back and forth for this spread ad that is just helping to sell product. And then 30, 30 days later, it's... Yeah. And then it's, sure. yeah, something yeah. new later, I was just like, all right, there's something that it's not fulfilling the soul. And so, not that I had a big grand plan after that, but I, I, I just had to move on. You so, learned what you learned and you kind of... Yeah, you know, grew and now you're like. So I did a few art projects on my own and design projects through some clients, and eventually Tim Richardson brought me into Quicksilver, and that was like in 2001. So he left McAvoy and went to Quicksilver. Yep. Okay. A few of them were at a place called Foot Conan Building, that acquired McAvoy, huge ad agency. Um, and then uh, I think they just kind of fizzled, and then a few people just kind of scrambled around the places, and Tim landed at. Mac, uh, at Quicksilver to build an in-house art department. I don't think Quicksilver at that time ever had mm. like their own in-house creative service department. And Tim knew how to build a creative agency from working at Quicksilver, being the creative director. And so he then did that for Quicksilver and eventually Roxy and Quicksilver were building their in-house art departments. So that was the first time, 2000. 
around that, that crazy? time. Like how everything was outsourced or, or like contracted, like yeah. you know, like yeah. how, just how the surf together. industry kept growing and growing and building itself its own infrastructure for other things that they would outsource, yeah. right? Yeah. Well, like, you got to think about it. It comes down to like costs and P and L. Yeah, and like they're like, well, we're now we're not just doing surfing or surfer trans worlds around. We're doing Rolling Stone. We're doing this. We're doing multimedia event you know like it's it's definitely blowing up to where it's not one but one this day. is this is when every consumer touch point for a brand for quicksilver at the time was the the applications the needs the desires the asks were all coming from the creative service department so if bob mcknight had an event coming up and he wanted some special signage or an invitation sent out he'd come straight to the creative department or if you know retail had some ads in some magazines or some signage of I mean this and that think of every consumer touch point so not just advertising hang tags for product for windows displays light boxes, in retail everything. light boxes everything. Um, at every retail store windows light boxes look at everything and everything this, you touch feel see for the brand was coming through our department and the surf brands were good about like you know, creating a, a seasonal theme, whether, you know, they're talking to designers, whatever that print and, and tying in, like you said, yeah. at the end of the day, it's, it's a print ad for a whole season, like three months or whatever, you know, so it has to go into everything. Yeah. You know, plus like, it's like, like I, I was saying before, it's like when you, when your business grows and you're trying not just necessarily cut costs, but also make you it want efficient. It, yeah. You want it there and, right and, now. Yeah. So the, if they if they have these creatives in on there, site. in the off site, it's not as good because they're not focused on on your brand. Right? They either have other clients or you need a point person to mm-hmm. manage them and make sure you're they're briefing them and it's on point. Yeah. But when it was in house, boy, it was we we were we were on it. It yeah. was we are one with the whole the entire brand and every touch point and knew what was happening in product, what sales and marketing were doing, what retail was doing. Yeah. And so that's crazy because Quicksilver probably during that time that you came on board, it was blowing up. Yeah. Roxy was dominating, probably yep. doing more business yep. in men's Quicksilver. So, I mean, and, and you guys were, that's when board riders clubs were popping up yep. all yep. over, exactly all over the world. Right. Exactly. So, so at that time, I was working with Tim Richardson, and there was Bobby Tang. There were a few Bobby other Tang. guys. Bobby Tang. Black Bobby. And, uh, Black Bobby. And, um, <laughs> and David Carson was kind of a guest creative director um, who I just ran into in Dana Point a couple days ago. Um, Dave Carson is a uh, world-renowned graphic designer. Yep. He was known for doing Ray Gun and what was that beach... Beach Life, Beach. There was a magazine called Beach Happy. Culture. Oh, Beach, Beach Culture. Culture. Yeah. Um, not Beach Happy. Not, yeah. um, I was like, what? I think it was Beach Shoots. Culture. But Ray Gun, Beach Culture. It was very kind of deconstructed graphic design. He was so cutting edge with all that. Yeah. So he was bringing some of those visual concepts to Quicksilver, which was starting to. Yeah. When go. he first took over Surfer and changed the. Exactly. Exactly. It was controversial because yeah. the old school, the old guard were like, wait, what? Yeah. He wasn't centering the wave and the yeah. focus or where the surfer was or he could see this. He was very um, avant-garde, avant-garde a little bit and yeah. experimental and 
we would have to prep his files for him to go lay things out and he would return 24 hours later there would be about 60 different options Whew. not just two or three there were 60 different options and there that. were wetsuit campaigns where kelly slater his legs and bare feet were just this much into the whole layout and it just said quicksilver wetsuits <laughs> kelly slater in a small type you know and it was just like it made you look whether yeah. that you know they were going to work or not and those were days I think was so, it was starting to take Quicksilver to be a little more progressive, a little more street smart and this and that. And I think that's when um, Nadas Kapas um, came Maybe. in and, and was very heavy handed into helping shape Quicksilver through those, those years. I'm guessing 20, uh, 2003 to 2008, I'm guessing was his, his window of time. Don't quote me on that, but... Um, and so I worked closely with Nautis for all those years. Yeah. It was a lot of fun. But they were acquiring other brands. They had so many divisions from, you know, beach to bikini to wetsuits to snow, outerwear, yep. you know. Yep. Like, yep. It was crazy. You know, snowboards, they own, you know, Mervin and, you know, Rosnall at the yep. time. And DC. The, yeah, they acquired DC probably in that, that yeah. time frame. In the very beginning, it was Raisins, I think. Raisins, yeah. yeah. Raisins before Roxy, I before believe. Roxy, yeah. Yep, yep. But yeah, I mean, you think of just Quicksilver because that's the brand we all know and Roxy, but like they, you know, just had their fingers in so many different different things. Yeah. yeah. And so those were really good years. So working as a graphic designer, learning how to build print ads and campaigns and learning all that. Um, you know, I was a little, I was still the newer guy there at Quicksilver. And so I got, I wasn't allowed to work on the big surf campaigns or skate campaigns. So I started taking the projects like Quicksilver Travel, sure, I'll take that. Quicksilver Crossing, sure, I'll take that. Um, surf Camps with Frog Nelson, you know, Eric Nelson, sure, I'll take that. And so they weren't high-profile um, campaigns or projects, but I really took them to heart to really learn what the business objectives were and mm. what they were trying to do. So with Quicksilver Travel, they would invite me on some of their trips to go scout new new camps and stuff. Um, oh, the crossing. Maybe I'll, I'll end the up crossing in the crossing. Maybe I'll end up Fiji. Got to spend time on the crossing boat and, and build press kits and new graphic packages and merch and, and all kinds of stuff. Did you come up stuff. with that graphic package? So no, it was Pete, um, Peter Webb who did the Aboriginal blue yeah. and orange pattern on the boat. Super cool. And so he, probably him and Simon Buttonshaw, but Peter Webb, I believe, designed that Aboriginal graphic. And then um, I would apply it to a lot of different things. And then when it came into, from, you know, into Central America, into the Americas, Northern America, I was the art director on responsible for building all assets to market that, to, um, to just bring the attention to yeah. it graphically, creatively mm -hmm. yeah. to life. It's crazy how the go-to-market strategies are so big and, you know, they're, it's a whole season. Like, you know, that's what I'm... But also, like... Across everything. The, the way it's on hang tags, on billboards, on... In magazines, on airplanes... You know what I mean? Like that whole that whole thing is important, especially for you know the communication and really hammering the message 
right. and a global brand. It's not yeah. like you're working on these little niche like Southern yep. California, yep. like, yep. you know, demographics, like you're, you know, the needs and, and having that same look. You show up in Quicksilver Europe or Australia or here yeah. or Japan. It's consistent. It's all yeah. the same. Yep, yep. And that's why I think, I think graphic designers, creatives geek out on, yes, it's one thing to open up a spread and just start building a print ad. But like what you guys were just saying, all the different touch points and applications, designers geek out on exploring all that because it kind of grows. You see what you can do and what you can't do and how to keep it consistent. If uh, there's certain art will work on one thing, but then it doesn't on another. And boy, it's fun to just have all these different um, things to apply it to. And it, it just brings it to life. And then to actually working for a brand like Quicksilver, it actually gets it gets executed. Yeah. And then the world, and all of a sudden your work is all over the world in places you don't realize it until you go to Japan and you see something in a changing room at a, a surf shop and it was like, whoa, that poster did get produced. Yeah. And there it is, you remember, know? Remember Quicksilver putting their board shorts on the, man, on the, on the mannequin on the 405? On the 405 oh, yeah. freeway. Like, that was... You know, genius. The golf course thing? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. It was it's the not a golf course. Out. No, it's, it's it, a Porsche. Porsche it's deal. Porsche, it was, but yeah. before that. Yep. Yeah. But that was, yeah. you know, it's like, hey, you know, it's put, you know. That was when we launched the shorts. Diamond Dobby technology. And I think it was, it was the, 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 I don't know if it was called Check Me Out, but that Check Me Out board short was what Danny Kwok wore in Echo Beach days. Was there a, yeah, there yeah. was a, it was the, the, Check me out. But then there was a derivative later that Dane Reynolds ended up wearing during the day when we developed Diamond Dobby board short fabric. Mm. And so that, those board shorts ended up on that guy for sure. So, you know, my, you know, working for Quicksilver Travel and then... Um, so Quicksilver Travel was a division of Quicksilver. So it was a travel agency that Quicksilver owned. <laughs> and, and it was pretty much not only did they book corporate travel, but also... They partnered with different surf camps to where you could book a trip to Nicaragua, El Salvador, the Mintawise, um, all over the place. I never, so, I, I kind of heard of it, but never knew it was like it was a thing. Yeah, I I remember, but yeah, again, it was kind of went off the radar. But definitely now that you bring it up, it's like. They were big. It was pretty fun. So some of those um, early concepts, we were illustrating. I was using another artist friend of mine who worked at Quicksilver in the t-shirt department, Randy Naborakawa. Super talented, mad skilled artist. He and I were buddies. We'd surf together. We had a studio together. We painted late at night. But I brought him in to start illustrating the Quicksilver travel ads. And it was like, hey, meet Pepe at... um, you know, spot X, whatever. And he would illustrate this guy and we would have little cool textures and icons and they were just beautiful that were in the back of surf magazines and things like that. So I think that artistically caught the eye of of Nautis and he saw my kind of hand-crafted sensibility to the approach to my, my ads or to my design. Um, and so he pulled me in to become kind of his right-hand man as an art director, um, to start working with merch and design, M&D within uh, Quicksilver. So I worked closely with the designers to start developing the art packages that were coming out a year from now. Hmm. 
So if someone in creative was working with M&D to develop art packages, then it would eventually come back into marketing and creative. Wow. So it was one big theme. So this is where, this is the fun stuff. This is where we got sent, little groups of people would go on inspiration trips. We'd pick places, we'd spin the globe. We'd look at places that were most influential to the market or the brand at the time. And we'd go travel to anywhere and everywhere in the world to go surf, to go shop, to go check out youth culture, music, yeah, who, who retail stores. I think somebody told the story a little bit before. Was it uh, Diamond? Eric Diamond? It might have been. Eric, Eric yeah. It probably, yeah. I think it was ED. Yeah. So ED and Steve Fontes, they were traveling, shopping a lot. Yeah. For sure. Fontes. Fontes. He's supposed to be in town next week. I just yeah, got to tell him. Yeah, we got to get him on the podcast. Yeah, exactly. Awesome. He'd love it. Um, so, yeah, so I would travel with the merchandisers, designers. We'd go all over the world. So, was, was this like inspiration trips for the direction of the line? Correct. That and because I was there also, it was for the brand, for retail inspiration, for. Um, any kind of design that would just um, influence us or spark something creative instead of looking at the industry in a mirror basically yeah. and looking at the industry for inspiration we were going out to museums and galleries and looking at street art looking at fashion whether it was people what they were wearing on the street going to the high-end boutiques and just the world was basically the, the, the canvas to just explore and be inspired by all types of things i love that job it that's a cool job it wasn't too shabby yeah <laughs> let's just say my wife was jealous go travel the world and, and get inspiration and yeah. come back and put something cool on <laughs> hey, yeah. find cool shit yeah yeah <laughs> you know and, and go surfing and go, go eat you know killer food so we did have to like develop something when we came back and that was a fun part also. Yeah. Download photos, download notes, and we'd build these great little hand packaged directional books. What was your like budget for like <laughs> this? Oh. Travel, right. like expenses, like, you know, hey, we need food, music, like books. Like, yeah. I mean, there's got to be endless. We were modest. They yeah, spell we're... budget with an F. <laughs> budget. <laughs> Budget, yeah, exactly. Just budget. Yeah. Um, so yeah, we were lucky to do to to do those two, three, four times a year. So we, yeah. um, I really think it. Um, sure, I'd like to think that it sounds so like. Yes, of course, that's what designers or creatives do to find inspiration and yeah. inform something new moving yeah. forward. But it really felt like Quicksilver was on the the cutting edge of. Um, looking for inspiration to apply to your seasonal story. You know, I look at brands like Rourke now and their trips of inspiration yeah. become their themes for yeah. their, their lines. And not saying that, um, you know, it's exactly what we were doing, but I'll tell you that our trips definitely informed many of our campaigns. Some of the best ones that I worked on, one was more for the skaters, but we did a Revolution Blues campaign where we had our signature denim. It was Reese Forbes, Art Osari, Nadas Coppice. There was signature denim. Um, I remember we were traveling in Puerto Rico and we saw 
you know, these, these dingy streets and street art and things like that and, and train yards and things. And I remember how much fun would it be if skaters were train hopping with their, with their denim and skating in different destinations and things like that. So our campaign for skate denim, we rented a train for 48 hours and we got to hop on and off box cars and steam engine, not steam engines, but uh, locomotives. locomotives and playing uh, railroad yards and come up with imagery yeah. that was so unique and so timeless. But it definitely was, wasn't something you're sitting in your office flipping through a magazine or a book that you're going to be inspired by. It was actually being out, traveling, seeing new things. Yeah. I, I like that. I like that inspirational trips because I, I think that when, when you have creative people and they pick something out of a, a scene, right? And then put it on paper and then build a line around it. Like that's fucking, that's kind of rad. That's amazing. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. Quicksilver, geez, you know, how old is the brand? Like 50 plus years. Something like that. 50, 53, 53 years. Yeah. And, you know, the, it's a bummer what it's going through now. Yeah. But, you know, talking about it and looking back at what it started to what it became, you know, it was a pow- it's a powerhouse heritage brand. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, they looked at, you know, are we tapped, you know, at one point, like, hey, you know, can we grow more and surf? Like they were so dominant, you know? And it's like, okay, well, everybody skates, everybody snowboards, everybody does this fashion, you know, everybody looks at skateboarding and surfing for fashion, you know? So it's, it makes sense for them to start tapping into those other yeah. industries and at least, you know, fishing and trying to, trying to see if they can, you know, lock in the more that, I guess, off the coast, you know, middle yeah. America. And I mean, they, they were dominating. Yeah. Yeah, you know? Absolutely. And some other things besides, you know, doing inspiration trips and, and looking for cool things for photo shoots and things like that. We would do global art camps to where either we, you know, we were based in Torquay, Australia, or not based, but that's where Quicksilver was pretty much founded yeah. in Torquay. And then here in Huntington Beach in the United States, and then you think of Biarritz in France and or Hossager, these were like the three global hubs for the brand. And so two, three times a year, we'd come together and we'd share notes on what our needs were, what the trends were happening, where we saw progression, where we need to move to, and building global art packages. It sounds like it's, it should be so easy, but bringing different regions together with different needs and yeah. influences, we'd build these global art packages that then we would just deploy in certain regions, and that's how you get global consistency. You know, well, It's, it's never that easy. It's crazy because, you know, fashion starts, like you said, the fashion hubs like Paris, Tokyo, New York, um, New York LA. like L.A., like all those places is where people go for inspiration, right? Paris. Um, surf is similar, but just different areas, you know? Surf is so yeah, weird, yeah. you know, like it, I, I, I think Quicksilver was lucky to have somebody like Danny Kwok, you know, be part of the beginning and create so many trends, not even trying, 
right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, that whole Echo Beach thing, I, I'm not going to credit him 100%, but 90, it was part 98%. Of it. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. But it's, uh, yeah, it's it's weird because because of the internet and because of social media, trends, like, happen so quickly. Yeah. And they end so quickly, you know? Like, they don't have the... The shelf life as 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 it used to, right? Like it's right. crazy to see in these kids wearing '90s style <laughs> denim. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I saw Quicksilver has even bring it, brought back their ellipse. What was it called? The um, ah, there was a name for that logo. Every company in the '90s had the ellipse or early 2000s, the oval shaped oh, yeah, logo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And now I see Quicksilver rocking that thing. It was like we yeah. couldn't get riders to rock that thing on their boards and now they're they've they've got it so Retro. trends come and go yeah it's definitely but yeah a like you mentioned like trends you know we had to wait for magazines everything was moving much slower yeah, and, yeah. and trends lasted you know at least 12 18 two years you know yeah. 12 you know 18 months two years you know yeah. before things got implemented now it's like six months yeah and everybody that last year and like i mentioned where you're you know you're you're on the side of advertising and marketing and, you know, like design where you got to not copy other people, but you got to do your, stay in your lane and do what you think's cool. And now everybody's copying everybody like that. It it's like, it does. It, yeah. it just kind of waters down the creativity a little bit when there's still a lot of cool shit yeah. happening and yeah. a lot of cool trends and a lot of cool everything. But, you know, you're looking like, wow, like it just doesn't get the respect and the, and the longevity it's of easy to shit. look back in history you know when you think of like punk rock music you think of what was happening politically at the time you look at cultural shifts and dynamics that influence trends or design language or fashion things like that look you know fast forward 20 years from now and look back at this time it's really hard to define where it's coming from. sense of style, where it's coming from, it's just, uh, everyone's looking at each other. Yeah. People are playing in their different lanes in this and that, but you almost don't know where things originate and how long it's been there or what's what's going to be long, you know, what's going to be around for a while to make an influence and things yeah. like that. And it's it almost does a creative disservice to look at that stuff and study yeah. it. And then you're just then you just don't have your own voice at that time, yeah. you know? So, Well, that and even on the product side, which is hand-in-hand hand with yeah, what you're trying sure. to do. And it's like, you know, for the sure. liability, the shelf life of, of product and the trends and, and how hard it is for, you know, companies to kind of manage that. And yeah. lead times are way longer and gnarlier than they've ever been. Yeah. And, you, should, you know, it's like, it's business is tough. Yeah. You know, <laughs> it's, it's always been tough, you know, but now it's... So how, how long was the run at Quick? So I was there two different times. Oh. I got laid off. I went to a place called Alternative Apparel. So Fair they, they um, make blank t-shirts. Yep. And so they hired me to be their creative director. Their strategy, they, want, they were a B2B. They were selling blanks to wholesale companies to, you know, to, dec to decorate and such. And... Um, Alternative apparel. Alternative apparel. So I was brought in to help them become a consumer-facing brand. So before they were just selling to wholesalers and silk screeners and just selling their blanks. So they had a new strategy to where they wanted to be more consumer-facing. So I had the 
lucky opportunity to hire a team based in downtown LA. And I had some real creative stylists and graphic designers. And we got to rebrand the entire company from logo identity to the whole look and feel, photo style, fixturing, hang tags, labels, even got into opening up new retail store, which we opened up in Venice and on Abbott Kinney. Yeah. And that was our first retail store that we got to design, develop, and just kind of start building on successes that we, you know, starting to articulate what we look like, what we sounded like, smelled like, and, you know, just really almost like birthing a new brand, but already knowing that we had good product that people liked for so many years. So got to work closely with the owner, Greg Alterman, brought in guys like Danny Gonzalez, who are different designers that just um, <clears throat> different other creatives and merchandisers and um, to and just build this brand. Basically built off specialty teas, right? Like yep. hemp and... yep. Cotton, so the T-shirt, the 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 fleece were amazing. It was kind of like this super vintage soft. aesthetic, super super soft, super wearable. Your go-to basics all the time, and so they were some of the first eco-friendly kind of um, T-shirt blanks. And everyone knowing them as alternative, it was really an alternative to American Apparel at the mm. time, oh. right? And what uh, American Apparel was doing, this was the alternative to that. Interesting. And so it was. Uh, it was a good. I worked there for two years. It was a good run, and Quicksilver called me back. So this time I got to go back to Quicksilver as creative director, um, and that's when I was working. I worked there another two years before I got laid off again. What so, year? What sorry, year, to, like, sorry to say that. Was it that was probably the first time you. Got so that was the first time. Okay. And then I went back probably 2010. And then get laid off again in 2012, that, 12, 13. Is that Moody? And yep, Moody? That Moody? was Mooney. Yep. Moody? And I, oh, we, over, I mean, we overlapped a little bit. Yeah. And I got to work with him and, and have some face-to-face time with him. And um, it was good time to be leaving. Yeah. The very next day, Stance hired me as their creative director. Oh, wow. So I went to Stance. And um, we built the company from there. You know, I was probably employee number 16 when Stance was first starting and they were presenting to me that, hey, we're a bunch of skaters and surfers and artists, punks and poets, and we want to start segmenting out to all these different genres, genres, segmentations, things like that. And so I got to, again, work with more creative people to build teams and departments and identities and visual directions for all the different segmentations that we were launching. So you, like year two of Stance or year one? Oh boy. They were what? F- uh, blah, blah, blah. Probably year two. It wasn't okay. year one. Like I said, there was a good little, um, it was still very young, uh, very small and scrappy, but they moved into their new building, but we were all just posted up in construction site basically to build the campus that everyone eventually, um, discovered or you know get to see what they put together so i was at stance for about five and a half years got to do a lot of traveling again got to work on good projects like not just campaigns it was a really cool opportunity to where um i was working on so many graphics and art direction through my career um working retail at alternative apparel kind of 
got me prepared to help Stance open up retail. Mm. And so the first store, you know, besides doing some things, their own brick and mortar. So the strategy, you know, again, another brand just building, you know, when Stance was popping up, it was like sock rack at every checkout and all the action sports retail Great timing, great good timing category that just was untapped yeah. uh, total untapped and when you think of macro trends that were happening pants were being rolled up and people you know kids were yeah. wearing their pants up higher which was showing socks and it was another form don't of look expression. at Lenny because his are so short it's like he cuts them they're so short I'll fucking dare you <laughs> so it was really good sorry guys we got uh, gardeners here weed whacker we gotta get out of here we need a. Anybody need want a to studio. sponsor us in a studio? A studio, <laughs> studio, kitchen table studio. Yeah. So, um, our, candy. Yeah. Our uh, we did we did like a test um, retail store in a in a mall up in San Francisco area, um, but then our first big one was at Five Ten Broadway in New York. Yeah. Uh, we'll just keep going. Keep going. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Two Thursdays. We can't do Thursdays. I didn't know they're going to be here. They, they come whenever. Really? Yeah. No yeah. standing appointment? No. It's all right. That's how we roll. It's part of, it's part of the Kids landscape. come in and out. Dog bark. The nail guy is going to come. The, yeah. yeah it's, it's all good. Yard's going to look hey, great. Hey, you need another drink? You need another Ashland? <laughs> or a shoot Shoots. Yeah. Shoots. We're killing it. Okay, so... So, San Francisco, you open so up it stands. So, so then New York. Then we got to open up our our flagship retail store in New York, and it was this two story um, building with VIP lounge, the retail store, and like a turn of the century brownstone retail space. And um, the retail store was unbelievable. And so that's where I really started loving um, design that was applied in all aspects, environmental design. So it wasn't just, you know, so much of my career was 2D. On paper. On paper or whatever the application was. Yeah. It was just graphics and flat and that. And so working with other creative people to be in a, in a, in a space was so cool to start figuring out what the flow was, what product you have, how it needs to be displayed, how do consumers um, behave and act and, and travel through retail stores so they can actually experience it all. How important is the front of the store versus the back of the store? Like people go to college right. just for that specific, just for that. That, you know oh, what I mean? Like it's for sure. like that is And it can crazy. get very scientific and, it is. and clinical a little bit. And, yeah, um, like where people sit and stand and height, the eye level and yeah. you know, like it's... You learn it, but then you go, okay, then you... You, you move on. You apply yeah. it, but you can't be stuck in that world or yeah. you're going like, to miss, too, too, yeah. miss doing something really impactful. But man, uh, for, uh, for Stance to open up that retail store and us to be, you know, the quote unquote, the uncommon thread to where that was always our brand filter to where, hey, we've got a group of punks and poets and artists and athletes. And we basically, our retail store is like a big canvas not only for our product, but for installations and galleries and bringing in really cool projects and things like that. So, you know, from working with all types of artists, um, musicians and holding events there and doing art installations, 
it was just a big art project basically yeah. that we got to put together there. When I when I saw the, yeah the retail stores, I'm like, man, this could be like the next lids, you know, like lids. Yeah, like you know, just hat stores that are just team because they were doing all the sports. Yeah, teams, yeah, you know, yeah. And getting For all sure. these licenses, and I'm like, dude, they're they're, they're going to be in every mall. They're going to be everywhere. Stance is such a a trip, an anomaly. Like, yeah. you know. We, we say it all the time that we hate to say it, finding the white space. Well, yeah. I mean, Nixon, you know, with like, I mean, every brand that's been really successful in the last 20 years has found, yeah. But I, I gotta say, found their. I gotta say, what helps Stance become a sock brand and, and why socks were so important was fucking Huff weed socks. Volcom and Huff. Mm. Those were the only two. Yeah, right. Those were the only two doing weed sock, which is very... Weed socks was a cultural phenomenon. Yeah. But then Volcom was all caricatures. They had the the zip-up matching hoodie, and they they had their two really youthful, and then the, you know, moms and dads aren't going to buy that, too. Now we got everything. Oh, they the killed Huff weed sock. Millions. Millions. So ridiculous. It was. But that was like... They, they came out at the perfect timing and Stance went, oh shit, like, you know, there's still a white space to take over. Oh, for sure. And Stance was no joke about, it wasn't just like, hey, let's go have these manufactured elsewhere and we're just going to do the, the really elevated marketing. The, the fit. It was the, like, they brought yeah, in innovation support, and yeah. machines and the equipment to really craft really beautiful like amazing quality and being innovative into yarns and patterns and well you got it approaches and you know try to compete against you know the big box oh for sure for sure and it was just you know it was just a clash of people from all walks of life the cool thing is stan said a lot of really good things to um there wasn't just an interview with looking at a resume it was almost like it was more important to where you're going to have a cultural interview to make sure you fit. You just fit. Yeah. And it was people from all walks of life. There were Olympic champions. There were professional ball players, skaters, surfers. There were amazing artists and just people from all walks of life yeah. that you just mashed together. And there was, you know, high standards. There were... Um, beautiful campus you know I, I felt like the campus work environment was, yeah the work environment it was definitely a recruiting to tool to get people i haven't just seen photos many, and right? stuff yeah. many I, i've gone in there a couple times yeah i it's, mean they took a page out of like oakley you know yeah. like a lot of those guys that you know came or even know, even like google or i but mean it was for either, sure yeah but within our it. our little campus you know yeah. action sports hub like yeah for sure know, oakley was like you know hey we're gonna have we're gonna have a desk for you know uh, Michael Jordan and Dennis Rodman and whoever else that's on yeah. the board and you know and yeah. we're gonna have a basketball court and this amphitheater and you know like just really encompass like all the different you know yep. personalities and different like demographics that we're selling to yeah for you sure know? for like sure they did a great job of creating a lifestyle brand with yeah. socks <laughs> for socks <laughs> yeah exactly I, I I swear when when um, I agreed to take the job yeah. I remember having a serious discussion with myself going, I worked my whole career doing all this and I'm going to go work for a sock brand. And this was before, like right after I had my first interview with Kingman and Hennings and I was sitting there going, okay. Yeah, we interviewed Kingman. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to say yes. I'm going to do this. Go. 
So I said, yes, we're going to do this. Work at Stance. So I worked there for about five and a half years. And it was a rocket ship. It was a rocket ship. A lot of growth, um, continuously adding people to the team, the workload, everything kept everything kept changing. Everything that you would know from a week before. It was um, it was exciting, it was challenging, it was never never boring. A lot of moving and shaking and, uh, you know, a lot of, uh, for a while, it was really creative, really fun. Um, then, it, you know, then it got to a point, like any brand, I think, when you start having successes and you try to capitalize on something and you come up with great ideas that start getting beyond your comfort zone and then you have to anniversary your next idea and this idea, this idea, yeah. you start losing the reins a little bit about what you're brand if you're not really focused and disciplined on your brand values and who you are and what you mean it's easily to just keep following the buck and and try it's, it, to it's kind of happens a lot in every industry yeah for sure i mean growth is you know you got it better that last year but catch 22 is like you know everybody wants organic growth and kind of like go with the pace or whatever but you guys went out and it was like it was a rocket, a rocket ship. ship. It was a rocket so ship. So it's kind of hard to rein that in. It's like, dude, we could do no wrong. Like, yeah. boom, win, boom, win, boom, win, you know? And but it's like, it gets difficult to... When you open Pandora's box, <laughs> yeah. that's what it is. You know, you no, you're right. Up, you're right. Well, and you can't stop it because, you know, it sucks. It's great on the up, but it sucks on the way down, right? Yeah. Because you open Pandora's box and you're like, oh shit, we can do this. Oh shit, now we can do that. And that, in my mind, the whole licensing thing with the sports, yeah, it was genius, but it was the, also like what kind of eventually led you down the wrong, I don't know, in my opinion. Yeah, yeah, That's yeah. where you jumped the shark, right? Yeah, yeah. Like it got too big, too quick. And you know, when... If everyone who said it, P. Diddy said, Oh shit, this guy's good at P. Oh, Diddy wow. said it. If everyone can have it, why do I want it? Mm. Right? I like that. Why would I want it if everyone yeah. has it? Yeah. So, well, again, yeah. it's, that's like I, I what think you, our industry, you know, because we're in the cool factor industry. Yeah, yeah. And when everyone can have it, then it ain't cool anymore. Right, right. right. Well, you know, you 100% for sure. Like that is, you know, you, you, you become diluted a little bit, yeah. you know, after everybody, it could be a backpack brand. It could be a shoe brand. It could yeah. be this. Everybody shows up to school and it's, just, eh, you yeah. know, I'm not cool anymore. I'm just one of the masses. And I mean, they got to a point where, you know, I'm selling Ruka to, um, uh, big chains, you know, like regional yeah, chains, right. you know? And industrial ride shop out in Arizona, which was a big, you know, it's like the oh, active gosh. of, you know, Arizona, Nevada, New Mexico. And, you know, we're running numbers and trying to think. And he's like, Stance is a top five brand for us. <laughs> Volume, dollars. And I'm like, wait, a sock brand is like beating out like, you know, there's yeah. a few apparel brands yeah. and like one mm -hmm. shoe brand. And then it's like Stance. You're like, what? He's like, yeah, we're, he's all... The amount of product we're bringing in, like whether it's holidays or back to school or whatever, they're they're scared, and then they're like, we sell out. 
and then like the next season we double it and we sell out and the next you know it was like that was the trajectory that they're yeah. having and that's for just sure. one for sure you know big box you know not big box but for our industry you know multi yeah. multi-door chain and you figure you know active and jacks and yeah you know well, like all you had them up across going back to huff like yeah. dude that weed sock pretty much reached rejuvenated the brand and you know pumped so much money into the brand that it became because it was it, it niche, was struggling yeah. for a yeah. long time yeah. you know and the whole weed sock thing what color combo can we do on weed socks yeah, and then it, <laughs> yeah. you know exactly it helped them become a legit apparel brand because yeah. they had the you know the financing finally to, to remember they had shoes too yeah. So, but uh, but as as reps, like you know, we we you know we want to sell and promote the brands we're selling and have a healthy life, you know, like you know business. But you know, when you have a retailer, you're like, you want them to succeed. And if it's X, Y, and Z brands that are help contributing to making yeah. that, you know, we're all for it. You want you a know? bunch yeah. of different yeah. brands yeah. to ring the register. Yeah, it can be just right, a few. Right. Yeah, different categories, different brands, different. Yeah, they were going. But it was pretty cool how stands could attract different talent because it was socks. Everyone, no one was sponsored by a sock brand. Yeah, you know, so it was cool that the 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 different talent, the punks and poets, we were able to pull in and be part of the fabric of the brand was pretty cool. But at the same time, it was a challenge. Like there at stands, the early days, everyone were skaters and surfers, right? We knew that well, but then when you start adding basketball and then running and then i don't know ballet dance whatever then all of a sudden it got a little more difficult to wear how do you how do you stay one brand one key kind of dna but you apply it to all these different segments and walks of life and things like that so the the point was to try to become an expert or at least support that that um that culture by either bringing people in or supporting people from from those walks of life and things like that, so it just kept getting bigger and bigger yeah. and bigger. And then adding other product categories made it challenging. Yeah. Whether it's underwear, t-shirts, women's intimates, all of a sudden you can get a lot going. Yeah, it can, it can get, it can go bad fast. And it's it's it's. it's terminated of quite a few brands yeah you know sure predecessors sure. that have because everyone says didn't stay in their lane stay, yeah, stay, yeah in your lane. stay in your lane it's it's heavy because that's the the goal of a brand right is diversifying any company diversifying your portfolio right and you know i've worked for a bunch of shoe brands and every single one of them wants to get in apparel you know and you're just like dude not everybody can do it, you know? Yeah. DC tried to do it, and they definitely had a little bit of a run. Vans is doing it. Yeah. Reef tried to do it, you know? Like, DVS tried to do it. Like, there's... It's crazy when you try to diversify, and you, you don't... I don't know. Like, you don't have it, but you do it anyways, and that takes the brand down eventually you know well it's not just the it's not looking at things just from the brand out it's also culturally looking in what's happening in the economy right so for many years the macro trend where people were going towards the the heritage brands 
right? So all of a sudden, instead of buying full head-to-toe Levi's, it's like, you know what? They're good at denim. I'm going to go to Levi's for denim. Yeah. Or I'm going to go to another brand. I'm going to go to Nike for sneakers or something like that. So it, it, it's not just the brand decides, hey, this is the world we're going to live in and this is all the stuff we're going to create. Sometimes the market dictates also. Yeah reminds you what you should focus on as yeah. long as you're listening to that marketplace totally. also so i think There's, that's really really important yeah and we we brought up this brand before that seems to be able to like stay disciplined and stay true to their principles to see yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah you know because they're like i saw a kid wearing a Stussy t-shirt this morning on his bike and I'm just like I see it a lot these kids are back yeah. on Stussy yeah like that's so fucking weird yeah yeah you know like but it like you mentioned discipline and and who who's on the board and who's got money and who's owning so what and, and you know like it's so true it's yeah you know it's you could have a, a head investor say, my wife was telling me today that we should have more. <laughs> you yeah. know, and all of a sudden, that becomes a big decision, you know, yeah. a hand coming down on, we need more of this. Yeah. Because this was her insight. But so we talk about, there's know. no, you know, there, there's no, I mean, there's a lot of books on, on business and there's a lot of experience from people that have ran brands and whatever, but market, trend, yeah. you know, having something unique, timing, you know, there's just so many factors of why, you know, some brands similar, one goes this, one does that, you know, it could be the, you know, like you said, what was the reason you got hired because of the, you know, the, the aesthetic, uh, the, the relationship of, yeah. are you going to fit culturally right, inside, right, right. you know, like having that, you know, is huge, Yeah, yeah. you know, For ha- sure. having that internal like team that could get along, but also, you know, kind of work together, but have your own expertise your yeah. own like kind yeah, of point yeah, of view yeah. yeah yeah i mean there it's people yeah. are like oh you know you hear about you know start brands and it's all about the owners too like i'm gonna start a brand in three to five years it's, I'm, I'm cashing out or selling you know yeah. that's a lot of people's and then i'll just start a new one and some people want i want to be a heritage brand yeah i don't care how long it ta- i want 20 years 40 years from now i want the brand to still be yeah relevant like there's all these different you'd like your kids to take over yeah, yeah. What, right right legacy um, so how long was the stance run? Five years? Five and a half years. Yep. And uh, let's see. So at, while I was at stance, I felt like... So this was later in my career. And while I was working there, I felt like um, I was at a point... There were a lot of younger people who were still starting and hustling to get certain projects and have a certain title and this and that. And I just felt like I had nothing else to prove. I was at another brand or another big company doing the same good things, the same mistakes, this and that. And, um, you know, I was there doing the best job I could, but I don't think my heart was in it, you know, towards most, towards the end of there. Um, And so that's when I really started getting more into my own work and my art. I've always had an art studio that I had after that I'd spend time in after hours. So even through my entire career, Quicksilver, Alternative, at Stance, I always had an art studio I'd go to after hours. It was separate from my home, wasn't just in my garage. That's your release, your outlet. It was my outlet. And whether it's I'm listening to music or I'm going through books and magazines. Smoke some weed. Putting putting <laughs> mood boards together. Um, listen to music, painting, drawing. 
Um, and so while I was at Stance, I, this is where Slightly Choppy was born, the business that I'm currently running now. It was, it was taking all the good I learned from the places I worked at, saw how brilliant Stance's merchandise strategy was to where you know, you, you, you put something into a little style that the, the materialization, the creative, the story is there, the margins are good. People are willing to pay a certain price for, you know, either a product or craft and, and this and that. And I remember sitting down with a merchandiser at Stance. I said, hey, school me on this. Like anytime I had a break, which I was saying, anytime I had a break, I'd go and spend time with all different departments throughout my career. So it wasn't just learning, hey, it's all about design and art and creative marketing. It was like I would learn about what sales guys needed. What, what did merchandisers do? What did, what did all these different facets? So once I you know, was starting to put my own deal together, I was able to pull from these different um, Did you have in the back sets. of your mind ever starting your own business? Back, you know. No, I've, you know, as a graphic designer, you were like, hey, I could freelance, right? And I freelanced mm. all the time where you're offering your services to design an identity package or something for clients starting a company or this and that. So that was the only kind of business side I ever hustle. thought it was. Side so, hustle. Side like, hustle. Yeah. Total side hustle. And so obviously in the last 20, 30 years uh, as an artist... I collected, I collect prints. I've bartered, traded art with friends, traded prints. I've got hundreds of prints from all types of artists all around the world. And so that's kind of where Slightly Choppy is where I make handmade canvas flags, pennants, where there's hand-done typography, and they're kind of printed. It was kind of, I saw it as the new 18 by 24 inch print mm. that everybody trades and exchanges and One you kind. do small runs, you number them and this and that. Yeah. And so that's all when I started putting my handmade flags together, I was like, Hey, I'm going to start making goods that kind of bring me closer and remind me of my favorite places to surf and travel and things like that. Is were you running by this by your wife or, or coworkers or like how did you like get the confidence like this is like I'm doing this like you know did you yeah. get some validation or people are like so shoot sit, you down or no good question so I was sitting in my studio one night and Randy Hild I don't know if you guys know yeah, Randy we Hild love Randy he um, he's been a mentor of mine forever even at Quicksilver great stories of him sharing his collections and research and. He schooled me on so many things. He was in my studio one day and saw my early prototypes of these flags, probably in 2014, 2015. So can I ask you how you came up with flags? Well, I literally... How you came up with Slightly Choppy. Okay. Slightly Choppy was just being a surfer. You're always talking about... You're sharing the conditions. Hey, how was it today? How big was, that was it? The most common Where the wind's slogan. coming from. You know? yeah. yeah, it was good, but slightly choppy. Yeah, there's yeah, some fun ones, but the wind came, I got a little choppy. <laughs> so years ago in an art show, I just had all these different surf terms within, again, typography in my paintings and things like that. So slightly choppy was one piece I actually sold to Randy Hill way back at the surf gallery in Laguna Beach. Wow. Remember the surf gallery? Yep. Will Penarts had that gallery next to Thalia. 
And so Randy Hill bought that probably in 2008, 2009, maybe. And was it like a print? And no, it's a, it's an it's an it's an acrylic and oil painting that both Randy Noborakawa and I collaborated on the whole collection of them. This one is just real strong type on a painting, like on wood and framed and all that. And he has it in his house still to this day. But that was just a term that I just kind of went along with. It sounded good. It resonated. It's part of your you know, surf yeah. culture. You could, you could say something over, you could say here, here, over and over and over, and then it becomes something. Yeah. Brands sound, brands aren't just a logo or just a name. They become this yeah, entity, a feeling, a feeling yeah. emotion. And so... I've been branding my whole life. I've been designing art and graphics and communication and products so, for brands forever. So you knew there's something special about slightly choppy, but it just, you, you know, until other people were like gravitating towards it. Well, that I knew was kind of catchy. It was kind yeah. of fun, slightly choppy, but also my artistic approach is hand done. It's imperfect. It's like perfectly imperfect. There's drips, there's scars, there's wear and tear. Yeah. So Slightly Choppy came not just surf term, Related. but also the artistic term that things are somewhat imperfect. So everything I do now, even with the brand, it's tea-stained, it's it's torn, it's it's kind of worn, it's got a, a lived-in aesthetic. And as we go more and more digital in the world... We, we long for things that are man-made or human-made. It shows the hand touch into it. If, yeah. we, if we just keep going down this path of all things digital, we don't know what's real. We don't know what's been manufactured and what's Fuck AI. <laughs> <laughs> but, it, but it's something that I'm so drawn to, things that are either vintage or hand-done or just perfectly imperfect, yeah. you know? Well, it makes total sense on what you're making and selling and, and what you're feeling. And like, you know, it bridges that, you know, yeah. those two mediums of surf, raw, everything's moving, everything's different, everything's not perfect. And, and work the materials you're working with, you yeah. know, it's like you can't, unless you're going to mass produce overseas or even here domestically sure, sure. or wherever. Sure. And it's like, I want this to be exact the same, you know? Sure. Like yeah. you're making, but which isn't as cool. Right. It depends. I mean, yeah, it's not as cool when it's, you know, it depends on what the product is, yeah. you know, like, I guess. But, you know, Lennon said, you know, when did you come up with like the pennant, like flag, yeah. you know, portion of it? So, so um, I'm a collector. I'm I, in kindergarten. I was digging through trash bins to find like, well, that's a good sheet of construction paper. Well, that popsicle stick is like, <laughs> that thing's like brand new. And so I, I've always been a picker and dumpster diver. And um, I wouldn't say a hoarder because I turn things into other things. Yeah. Anyway, that's my excuse. My wife may differ. But I'm a collector and gatherer. And so I had fabric and remnants of rugs and things like that and i just started chopping them into rectangles we lived on a newport and so we've got burgies and yacht clubs and boats and everything around us all the time and i love flags being you know uh, it's what you see every day living at the it's beach and the harbor it's yeah. you see flags everywhere and signals and this and that so i love the, the 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 symbols of it i love the graphic nature of it i love that it's a canvas but it's not traditional um, 
And then I and and then I've seen you know I've been a big fan of vintage felt pennants, whether it's from a, a institution or a sports team or college or something like that. And so that that's been out there in the 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 graphic vernacular of the world. And it was just something that, um, and something I didn't mention before. I've loved typography. I think I mentioned that working with Nadas Kapas. His hand and his signature and writing became really um, connected with Quicksilver. Yeah. Well, whenever he was um, not available, he kind of schooled me on working uh, typography always. And so that's pretty much where I grew the passion and love for getting away from fonts on the computer and doing more typography. And then through my travels, I appreciated third world sign painting. So when you're in Mexico and you see a Coca-Cola logo, that is, it's not provided by a corporate. It's, you know, the, the shop owner had to paint it himself. And so you can tell that's a Coca-Cola logo, but it's, it's, he's Hands. struggling. Yeah. It's, you see it's the tension yeah. and it's, it's elongated, it's wrong, but you know exactly what it is. So yeah. it does its job, it's, right? It's funny how important topography is, you know, the, the, the feeling you get or the feeling you emote with the right font, with the right to topography. Yeah. You're like, fuck, that's insane. Like, like you said, not us with his to topography and Stussy's signature. Sure. Same thing. You know, like. Absolutely. That was, that, his brand was built around a signature. And it's from a hand. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like when you think of Matisse or Picasso or Basquiat, you know, you think of these famous artists to where it comes down to their markings, yeah. you know? And so, of course, you know, I, I just just living in that world, whenever I get infatuated with something, I go all in. I'm reading about it. I'm watching um, commercials, YouTube, uh, films about it, um, diving in books, just researching as much as I can on topics. So... so Go ahead. So you left Stans and started slightly choppy or freelance? I got laid off at Stans. Oh, yeah, laid off at Stans. I was dabbling. Like I said, Randy Hild saw my prototypes on the ground and goes, he thought I'd, I bought those somewhere. I go, no, I just made these. He goes, I think you're onto something. I mean, it wasn't like the big idea, just boom. Yeah. It was more like his cool. response was like, well, that, that's pretty sick. Yeah. And I respect his point of view, his his sensibilities. Yeah. And I mean, so... It's a confidence booster. And it know? was something yeah. like, hey, I'm, I'm going to do this no matter what. It was great that he said said that, but it motivated me to go, okay, I'm on to something. So I was dabbling. This is probably 2014. And I was making prototypes. I was doing one for Wedge and 6th Street and Blackies and 54th Street. Just doing all Newport spots. Um, and were you, did you start selling it to, to retailers? Not yet. Eventually, I had my first order from Almond Surfboards Love from it. Dave Ali. He was my first client. And I made a pinwheel for him of my terrible prototypes. And he goes... Okay, I'll take three of each. And I remember it was like, okay, wow, I got I to gotta remake all these? And so I remember just doing small cool. production line. Okay, I'm going to get this were, fabric. Did you, were you working fabric. somewhere else? No, this is, so this is, so I was at Stance at that time. So once Stance laid me off, it was the very next day I decided, I went home and told the family, 
I've probably been laid mm. off at half my jobs in my career. So sad. So it's tired to dust yourself off. Yeah. Try to like build up your momentum and your your self-conscious to like, I'm going to go back out there and do it. And your dad, you're supposed to be providing. You've got kids that are more sad than, than you know, that I am. I'm like, dude, I got to get up and do this again. This is the first time I came home and I said, guys, I'm not, I'm not going to go look for another job. I'm going to give Slightly Choppy a run for it. And my wife just said, if you can bring home a paycheck, go do, go, just go, go do it. So I remember the next day I met with Dave Ali there at Allman. And he was like, all right, dude, what can I do to help? And it was, it was, this is a period in, in the, in the world to where a creative, an individual can have an idea and be able to broadcast it. Whether you have an idea, a product, a song, whatever, a service, you can, you can broadcast it to the world. Just like this podcast could go anywhere. You don't need, you don't need to broadcast it through radio and you know, try to figure that out. You, we have the tools now to do anything and everything we want. It's at your fingertips. So I could be in my studio all day, prototype something, build something, photograph it, put it up on a website, and I can sell things. The, a website is a window to the world. Yeah. And so when you start seeing things like that and then just go, okay, I'm going to build product. I'm going to, you know, Post on social. I'm gonna just get 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 an audience. Maybe run some ads. But you, just did try you to get, grow this thing. Did you get some sell through from Allman, or did you did you start seeing sell through on the website? And you're like, hey, I'm just yep. focusing on yep. my local spots, Newport. Like yep. now you're you're like, where's where's the next? Yeah. Like where are you branching out? So before I said yes, I'm gonna do this. It, it, there was some traction on the website. I was probably pulling in. 2000 a month or something like that for the first three, four months. So I was like, okay, there's potential. Kind of amazing. There. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't a lot. It wasn't enough to make a living, but at least it was showing promise. Yeah. Right. And so it was like, okay, I mean. And you're hand making everything. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So did absolutely. you know how to sew and put, you know, like, like, so, like did you have to teach yourself? Like, because so you're I'm a hack. doing all this, like. I'm telling you now, full DIY culture, you know. Back in the days when we were making our own zines or we're building our own skate ramp or we're making whatever we needed because we couldn't afford it, that culture is built in me to just do it. Just teach yourself and just do it. And so it was kind of like, okay, I know how to cut a stencil. I can get this machine and just start figuring out how to do a straight stitch, a zigzag stitch. And like, I just piece these things together. They're, so I mean, okay. I look at these prototypes. They're raw, yeah. super raw. And I remember when I went to go meet with my first cut and sew person to help me scale this business, I brought these shabby looking, you know, these canvas Make it look flags. like this, but better. <laughs> Make them better. Yeah, easy. <laughs> no, but be better happens over when you do things over and over yeah. and over. Just like with skating or selling or yeah. surfing, do anything it's, in life. The yeah. more you do it, the better you're going to get at it. So, But I think though... Earlier, you know, you're you saying, gotta go through that. You're, you're saying how perfectly imperfect or imperfectly perfect. That's what makes it art, and that's what makes it unique. Like, you know, you're not putting a number to it. It's just, hey, this is like one of a kind, and and for sure, you own it for know? sure. You bought it and you own it, and you have 
a one of a kind. Sure, there's other things that look like it. Yeah. But this is a handmade. Yeah. You know. And early, early on, when people started seeing the success of it, I had people approaching me going, "Hey, you know, I could make those overseas for it. Like you can, you could make them for a fraction of the cost." Yeah. And da da da. And I was, no, I, I, I don't want to do that. Yeah. You know, I, I was working for brands that were constantly sending things out overseas to get made, and were pinching pennies. I think when a, when you grow and you get so big, you're chasing numbers, your quantity over quality. Yeah. And there's a couple companies and organizations that are my north star to where they do beautifully handmade furniture, garments, artwork, c- ceramics, and it's like it's every single one is just beautifully yeah. crafted by somebody who has just put their life work into it. That's yeah. what they're meant to do. I wouldn't say it's novelty, but you know, like you're, you're, you know, somebody's that's, you know, they're gonna put it on their wall, you know, or hang it outside. Yep, yep. You know, it's gonna be displayed, you know. And if you're selling to a community, like we'll bring up Newport again, yeah. and you know, somebody identifies with like Blackie's over 54th or whatever. But if somebody has a 54th flag in their house and somebody else does. Could be a little different hue, could be a different like oh, sure. you know, yeah. color, yeah. which yeah. where you could excel and be like, I could just reproduce that same sign in a million different, you know, variations. Yeah. You know, like sure. you'll never run out of updating or making it unique or changes. Well, that, that's the challenge as I've been doing this for about eight years now. <laughs> and it's crazy how it just keeps going. The cool thing is that people like the fact that I'm hand making these. It's it's like slow cooked meal or something yeah. like that, you know. Um, but it's not just about the craft and what I'm making. People have an emotional connection to yeah. that location that it's that it features, you know. So it, it's you know if they see a you know Yosemite flag for national park, it's like they're just it, it's just reminding them of their days spent there or individuals they camped with or you know just brings there's an emotional connection to yeah. these things. So it's not just the artifact itself yeah it, it's a cool category that there's very few players in it right and you could stay small right and be disciplined and not go huge but it's all about like for me it's like when when someone's successful it's not the amount of money that they make but it's the satisfaction of what they do, right? Yeah, money's great, but if you're making money and you're satisfied, you're doing business with the people that you want to do business with, that's that's the end. You game. said it. Well, that's when, exactly it. When yeah. I looked at your website and I was like, now that I know the history with Stance and your time there, and I'm like, holy shit! Like he's he he has all these categories. Now you could do, you know, mountains and you do national parks and you do beaches and you could, yeah. you know, you got all these little, like you're diversifying. Thing, yeah. Your these portfolios yeah. Which, <laughs> with, with, with the same messaging, sure, same sure, vibe, sure. you know, sure. I'm like, wow, you, you know, you could do all these, he's doing all these Hawaii, you know, yeah. like, she's, yeah. you know, like, well, I'll, I'll tell you some of the things that become, they're kind of brand filters that are built in my head already. And it's like, you know, I've worked for companies that are just chasing growth. And what comes with that is you have to do more. You have to try to do it cheaper. Yeah. You've got to p- 
put them in places you wish you didn't do it because yeah. eventually it's going to dilute your brand. It's going to, you're going to peak and then you're going to drop. And so what's the best way to sustain? And it's like, I pull it in and try to stay as close to my brand values as I can. Yeah. You know what? I make, a, I make a decent living. I make enough money. I'm not trying to get rich off doing this. I'm doing it for happiness. I'm doing it to uh, provide for my family, provide for the people who are helping me do it, whether they're cut and sew, they're silk screeners, they're assistants. We're all having fun by built by working and growing slightly choppy. It's a very slow growth, but that's by design. Yeah. During COVID, it went gangbusters and like it everything. went out, yeah, exactly. It went out of it was just out of control. Everybody's sitting behind their, and thing, their, their, their I remember, yeah, like, exactly. Internet shopping and looking at blank walls. <laughs> um, I remember finishing that year and going, dang, I don't want to work that hard again. Yeah, <laughs> true. And, in, and I think most companies are trying to, well, well, aren't you supposed to just keep growing and yeah. growing and growing? Let's go 20% over that. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, no, I'm not going to do that. So I'm at a really happy place to where... Sure, I may not be moving as quick at as quickly as I maybe should be as there's competitors that are kind of coming into my territory who have also been past customers of mine. Yeah. And now they've just launched their own brands that look identical um, to slightly choppy um, in different regions because I can't hustle enough to be everywhere all yeah. the time. You know, whether yeah. they're in France That's or the, the East Coast or Hawaii. The beast, it's the nature of it. Yeah. And so I'm just, you know, instead of me legally like going to court and legally fighting that, it's like, you know what? Let's put the energy into innovating and doing projects that mean a lot to myself and the people I'm working with. You know, we just did a, a Maui flag. We raised $15,000 in two weeks to That's where awesome. I got the right checks Fuck yeah. to small businesses and organizations in Maui just, just last month. That's epic. That's and awesome. it was like, it was so humbling to see how many people cared about it yeah and and it was so it just was probably the coolest week of the brand's life to like we're gonna sell these things that yes i'm, I'm people a, want a piece of this but it, i'm a big fan good, you know there's a lot of silent donors and people that just have money or just hey i'm gonna click on this and send money but when you you get something in return and you're wearing it proudly because it's something cool and it's supporting it's like it's a win it's a double it's a win, win you know sure. you're, you're supporting sure. small business but you're also going to give to that, you know, some you know organization that's helping those people. But you're getting something in return, yeah. and it's kind of a little badge of honor too. You know, it's like, yeah, you know, not gloating like, hey, I'm better than you, but it's like, hey, I'm helping the small independent company. I'm donating to them, and I got this cool Maui flag because I went there on one vacation. That you know, yeah, everybody has exactly. a connection. Everyone has a connection for yeah. sure. So Huge. it's cool that not only. Um, with the brand, being able to travel, go on my own self-funded inspiration trips. Nice. <laughs> Not corporately sponsored, which I miss, but could still do everything that I was doing before. To go on inspiration trips, go with my sons, go surf somewhere, pull inspiration, develop something, meet the locals, try to develop things for different regions and different stories, whether it's locally or around the world or whatever. Yeah. So I just get to take the best of everything I learned and try to apply it to my business. And yeah. sure, there's tough times, but the good thing about hard work is you just keep, 
is it you just keep getting more hard work? Or yeah. What's that saying? I don't know yeah. quite well, what we, it we, is, but we try to work as hard as we can and work and, well as much as we can. Which yeah goes back to the meaning of like, hey, you want to provide and you you want to have a you know a good life, and we live in Orange County and it's expensive, and you got kids in college and you got all this going on but ultimately we want to spend more time in the water you know yeah like how do we yeah, balance for sure that life of work provide and then i mean we're all selfish surfers you know we want to surf and go on surf trips and you know so like, I, give I, or take did you do the redo market last weekend i did do the redo yeah. market on sunday that it was the sixth one which yeah. i can't believe it's already been six. we need to go to that dana point yeah dana point yeah yep and so that's Grant, something Randy and Randy Fuzzy. And fuzzy. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. And that is always, um, uh, boy, what's the right word? Not just successful, but it's like a really good time for the brand. Not a lot of people get to see slightly choppy visually and physically manifest. So it's cool to be able to post up for a day. Yeah. And so many people come by and it's just so heartwarming to hear from fans or people who want to buy directly from me and from the team get to meet the team and the people behind it yeah so how many people are behind it how many people i would guess there's probably five or six people nice. and, it, and it ranges from studio assistants to cut and sew to silk screening to shipping and fulfillment um so well, they're all independent contractors but it's um it's a team that um i get the spend quality time to really like refine the process. I love the artistic process. I want to make sure the screen printer isn't on a 24 wheel, just pumping them out. Like each one is hand pulled and he's doing it with the right inks and it's all just everything's considered yeah. in everything that. And are you, you're not just making flags anymore too, right? You're making other categories. I'm repurposing sweatshirts. I've been, been uh, sourcing vintage sweatshirts for a long time. And kind of repurposing them with felt applique and I started doing wedge sweatshirts. Cool. And, you know, I, I like I like building artifacts from locations that, A, that we love, places we've surfed and traveled to. But it's places that don't necessarily have cool artifacts from. You, like, you can go and see a whole shop full of souvenirs from somewhere. And not many of them are well made. Most of them aren't even made in that region. <laughs> They're all made in... China or some another factory yeah. somewhere. So it's cool to have something that's locally considered, you know, whether it's design um, there, here, inspired from there, but at least it's considered for that location. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, it's, uh, I occasionally do some t-shirts, some hats, sweatshirts, yeah. but the and, flags for and sure. you're the, selling it to retailers across the country now? So I'm going to about 16, 18 retailers. Sick. Both West Coast, East Coast, Hawaii. Um, bless you. Bless you. Couple uh, shops in Europe. And and what what kind of stores are these like? They're they're mostly so home and garden like you know home like or just, you know what they all have salt connected to them so they're either surf boutiques like mm. small surf shops or they're home good stores that the families and owners are all from surf yeah. yeah you know they all have salt in their veins that was something i always learned from quicksilver from anywhere i went like is there are they a good bird are they are they a talent they have salt in their veins and then all of a sudden they you just you just get it yeah and so it's cool 
Um, I know you guys know a bit about retail and things like that and shops, but it's fun to move slow and be considered with where the flags um, are available and what communities they're in, you know, whether it's in Laguna down at Thalia and having those spots represent the spots that are down there. Do you make a black ball flag? Of course I make a black ball flag. I, I'm going to put it, I'm going to buy a couple, <laughs> put on North side. I'm going to put it up on the tower. <laughs> you know what? That's one where <laughs> you either, be like, what the fuck? <laughs> you either hate it or you love it. Yeah. So I have a lot of friends that are in the wedge crew and they love black ball. Because every, all summer long at 10 a.m., yeah. that black ball flag goes up, and the Surface. water clears out, yeah. and they, they get to body surf with no boards. I, you know, it's, yeah. It's I mean, love-hate. We grew up, you know, with black balls, you know. Yeah. It's not really, you know, except for the wedge and, you know, what is it, it four, still gets 38 to 44, <laughs> wherever, yeah. I think it still gets black ball. Yeah, rarely, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, is it north of, no, south of the pier? All. All. Oh, yeah. yeah. Really? Yeah, from uh, from like ten to one. <laughs> no. So my my son, as a surfer and a lifeguard in Newport, he hates having to put that thing up. He yeah. won't put it up until the truck comes by or they call him and say, "Jocks, I think it's time to put the flag up." And he's he just he gets it from everyone. Jay's daughter Lily is a lifeguard there too. Yeah, in Newport. Yeah, yeah. Lily what? Larson. Lily Larson. Yeah, she's I, I she's a does, yeah. junior guard instructor, and then she picks up. Uh, tower shifts when okay. she's not, you know, doing that eight week yeah, program, yeah. whatever. Yeah, he's division two, D two. So you want to give any shout outs to some shops? Oh man, the carry sure slightly chopped. I mean, it, here in Orange County, you know, Almond, Thalia, Fifteenth Street, CVs. CVs is not a surf shop, but they killer boutique, have, yeah. beautiful boutique, beautiful footwear and product. They do a wonderful job. Um, let's see. So I oh, love ahead. that you brought up CVs because it's like what it's the perfect store for slightly choppy because it's like clean Americana, you know? It's like nautical Americana, like yeah. it's got that California, California culture. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's like the perfect totally. spot yeah. for a brand like slightly choppy and slightly choppy. Like we do collectively, we do well together. Yeah. Which is awesome, and the only reason I brought up Home Garden because you know it's like it's it's like beautiful, yeah. or, you know, for the yeah. wall and in sure. that kind of theme is is really popular yeah. amongst you know designers and designers. You know, decorators. you can put in kids' rooms or the bathroom yeah. or you know, that, like that's what's cool about your brand. It can live in so many different yeah you know, yeah, yeah yeah spaces for sure. Like the whole time I looked at your hat, and it reminded me of Mark Shoeline. And, you know, Ace yeah. Hardware. Yeah. You could sell Ace Hardware. <laughs> yeah. Like, it would be, a, you know. Mark's going to be calling me tomorrow. Yeah, yeah he should. <laughs> you know, but it's it's not isolated, like you said, to just, you know, a surf kind of vibe shop. It could be, yeah. you it's, know, boutique. Better. But you know what's cool about being small is that I can decide what fits, what doesn't want to fit. Like, at the end of the day, I want it to be fun. I want it to fit the brand. I want it to be in a shop that I like to go into. Yeah. You know? You're proud to be displayed in. I'm proud to be displayed in yeah. and be part of that community. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. By the way, the hat is the Ben Carlson Foundation hat. I know. Yes. Yeah. I know. Absolutely. <laughs> ben did go. Ben, ben did go. Yeah. yeah. Nine years. Next year will be 10 years. So crazy. It's unbelievable. Yeah. 
I mean, what a great turnout for his paddle, you know? His year after year, the, it keeps the paddles growing, yeah. the foundation has momentum and keeps yeah. going. The cool thing is I get, to, I get to see him meet on a monthly basis, the board, that is. And um, it's unbelievable to hear the reach it has. So not only are they just giving scholarships to three lucky kids, local kids, that's fantastic and wonderful, but they are supporting financially and through equipment and teaching lifeguard programs all around the world. I mean, it's growing more, but like in big places like at Todos Santos and not Todos Santos, sorry, um, mainland Mexico. Where am I thinking? Puerto Escondido. Puerto Escondido. Thank you. Porto, they're helping the lifeguards down there, just giving them either buying them skis, equipment, helping them with um, just water safety. Yeah. And, it's, and just they're helping promote water safety worldwide, which is fantastic yeah so if, huge. if um we didn't talk about surfing that much huh what kind of board do you ride sorry oh right now i have an almond i've been riding an almond board it's nice. a pleasant pheasant and i've slowed down a bit you know what's interesting i heard matt warsaw say something in a podcast he, not podcast but youtube video and he goes you know what i don't surf anymore i just don't surf anymore just the older you get and it's not about me physically having to surf anymore the older i get i'm appreciating all different aspects of surfing do you remember in the movie north shore when chandler's teaching bro she, of course <laughs> when um when they go oh where's dad she's like oh him and rick they're surfing right now and they're just sitting on the rock yeah talking about talking about it but yeah. that's surfing and so i've been able to like enjoy surfing from so many different aspects yeah um I'm currently on the board of the Newport Beach Historical Society. Cool. Awesome. So I've been doing it for a year on the board, and I'm able to tell historic Newport stories through a new lens. Everyone else is theirs. Someone old, and they're all generational, been in Newport a long time. But I'm going, guys, the wedge, like, it's generational. So many yeah. people. It's not just old news. History's still being made there, you know, or down this street. Joe Quigg was back to back with Pat Curran. This is back when Tommy was born up at Hogue Hospital. Pat Curran had Tommy a little shop. Tommy was born at Hogue Hospital? He was born at Hogue Hospital. Pat Curran had a shop on 30th Street, just right next door to where Bird Hair Supply is. Pat Curran was there, and right behind him, Joe Quigg was there. Crazy. And so think about, and Joe Quigg was there from 60 to 70, so for about 10 years, he had a shop. But at that time, wooden boats, there was a lot of fiberglass happening. And mm -hmm. so Joe Quigg was designing boats and paddle boards and things. And then Crazy. through design and fin design and fiberglass and all those worlds clashing together, was just making the boards he was making. Crazy. So it's just unbelievable. So anyway, my, my, I'm, I'm enjoying surfing from not just the activity, but the culture, the, the history, history, the culture, yeah. the memorabilia. That's why we like doing this podcast so fun we learned so we much learned so much uh any wave pools partaken so i've been to the surf ranch twice and never got to go in oh. so i brought slightly choppy there a couple times um i'm a little anti-wave pool if i if you don't mind me being against the grain a little bit hey I, you're welcome to be an idiot <laughs> i think it's um great for people who aren't near the ocean but right now it's an exclusive club. Yeah. It's kind only of, able to 
people who only right now the ocean's free for anyone to enjoy. Yeah. Wave pools are for people who are they're the one percent. Yeah. And so that that rubs That's me. That's the turn off. Yeah. I I I, so I, totally I, agree. I agree with you for surf ranch, but Waco's pretty insane. Yeah, but who Palm yeah. Springs is gonna be insane too. Yeah. yeah. Once it becomes more exclusive Accessible. inclusive. Yeah. And less accessible. Yeah. 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 Yeah, and I think pretty fucking good. Yeah, I think the technology. I can't wait. (laughs) Yeah, it's Um, it's incredible, and we're all big fans. But no, I totally agree that it's, you know, it's always booked. It's expensive. Like you can't, you know, it's it's a it's challenge to get. But I'm glad they're there. I'm glad they're popping up. It's adding another dimension. You know. Best surfing, best surf surf trip or location: Tahiti, Indo, Hawaii, like Mexico. You know what? It was actually chilly. I, I, I got to surf Pichilumu. I'm regular, but I surfed a left in Pichilumu. We went down on a quicksilver trip. We were gonna go. We went to Brazil and Chile, and we spent a, a couple days with Ramon Navarro down there. We mm-hmm. had a surf camp at Punta Lobos, and so we all brought kind of beater boards and wetsuits because we were gonna leave it with him. And he showed us this wave that um, it was, Never it was the that. longest wave I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> wow. And so that was very memorable. Obviously, surfing um, at Chopu, where it was two to three feet with Raymana, and it was still kind of scary. Again, <laughs> yeah. another left, going backside. Yeah. But because it was so clear and the reef just looked right there, it was just crazy takeoff. Wow. But it's just the experiences of being out there are phenomenal. Yeah, Being on iconic the, spots, man. Iconic yeah. spots. Um, uh, surfing Tortola on the crossing. And it was Ooh. with Dylan Graves and Pablo. I've DS. seen pictures of that place. It looks fucking dreamy. It's, it's a place Sandbottom, called Cane right? Garden. Of course, that spot's a right. So right. that was Cane Garden on okay. Tortola. So this is in the Caribbean. And we were on the crossing boat for like 10 days. That was a pretty epic trip. Wow. It was pretty phenomenal. Caribbean. Oh, so beautiful. It's beautiful. It can throw, though, like those big northeast swells that come down. So we also surfed the northeast side of Dominican Republic, and those were some pretty heavy, mm. heavy waves there. Yeah, it gets pumping. People, it pumps. You know, like, I mean, up until, you know, you'd see waves out of Puerto Rico and a couple of spots yeah, yeah. that we occasionally, you know, the Caribbean, Hawaii, sunset, yeah. And, yeah. and then snap. You know, those guys put out that video on where they did Dominican. I think they call it Silverback. Fuck. Yeah. Like, no one, it was like below sea level. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, It's the gnarliest way. Charlie Coon gets like, they all get destroyed. Yeah. Yeah. Benji Brand and all those guys are charging. Um, But we have some parting gifts for you. Yeah. What? Yeah. Bonsai bowl, free bowls. No way. Original, live life in the bowl. You got it. I love it. Thank you, Joe. Fantastic. Yep. Ashlyn, hard seltzer. We're gonna We've been partaking little... the whole time. Yep. He's been Lars sitting right here. I didn't know I was gonna get to go home with these. Yeah, I've been down in some Japanese lager. We got a couple of logos there. Yeah. Iconic. You probably sick. worked with yeah. Uh, yeah. Strider Strawberry Wazaluski. I know Raz very well. Yeah. He, he's giving you uh, some shade sunscreen. Sorry I didn't mention him in the podcast, but I got some stories with that guy. <laughs> Everybody <laughs> does. Yeah. Yeah. We'll have another podcast. Summer. Um, they, you mentioned you mentioned that you did some fundraising for Maui. That's yeah. awesome. We're we're also um, through through our network and our friends that have been on the podcast. 
we're also going to be raising money for um, for, for Maui community. Um, I wanted to... Ty Williams? Yeah. Ty Williams is an artist. Have you heard of Ty Williams? Well, absolutely I have. He's amazing, and he gave us a hey, bunch make of sure prints. Your paws are clean. My paws are clean, bro. Yeah, those have been sitting right there. Just, just beer. It's one beautiful. of a kind. I got my beer. Those are beautiful. Right? Yeah. There's some amazing artwork. Thank you, Ty Williams. Yep. Um, I went to Arbor... Arbor Surf Collective, not Arbor Surf, Arbor Collective in Venice. Okay. Bob Carlson donated a a sick 25th anniversary snowboard, Koa snowboard from Hawaii. Wow, nice, that's awesome. Like a gnarly one. Um, Lockie gave us a, yeah a lightning bolt, a vintage lightning bolt. Wow. We're still gathering. Yeah. Our stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and someday we're gonna do a, an event. Perfect. So, we're taking our time to kind of figure out how to, you know, promote it best and do something cool for the community. Yeah, yeah. You know, well, we'd, we'd love to donate Dude, a collection of flags for you guys as well. That'd that'd be super awesome. cool. Amazing. And then we want to thank Earth Pack that does all of your you know bags, yep. logos, yep. And, and packaging yep. needs. Earth Pack, awesome. Uh, Caballero Pools and Spas, another great sponsor. If anybody's yep. looking to do landscaping, hardscape, and you know, pool spas. This neonwave.com is giving away late night with chalky hats Ooh, with nice. uh, purchases uh, over fifty bucks. Yep, and they just got to put late night at the as a promo code at the end. Yeah, we're just giving away hats, so go shop. Yep, and um, yeah, Clear Weather do. brand shoes. <sighs> yes, they're they're picking up some new riders in surf and skate, so. They're jumping in the game heavy. Again, we're gonna, small independent businesses and, yeah. you know, friends' companies that nice. were, you know, nice. super stoked to put their gear on. Yeah. Foo Wax. I actually have a bag of wax that I have to use I'm low tide on yeah. wax. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Dude, is wax is gold. Yeah. Wellsy. Come on, Wellsy. Another yeah. Quicksilver, dude. Yeah. Um, Scott, Slightly Choppy, Richards. Dude, that was epic. Did you get... Everything what? out that you wanted. To oh man, and then some, and then some. Cool. Awesome. Thank you. This what a great opportunity. Thank yeah. you guys. Yeah. Thanks for pulling some of this out for me to share. Memory yeah. lane, man. Memory lane, exactly. Memory lane. We but just yeah, did thirty any, years and anything one hour. cool you got down the pipeline in the future. I mean, please reach out to us and let cool. us help promote yeah. and we'll collab do. at some some level and we'll do. you know do something cool for you. Awesome. Yeah. Thank you guys. Appreciate it. Yep. Peace. Yeah. Slightly choppy. Bonsai Bowls, hands down the best bowls, period. Seven locations, two in Hawaii, five in Southern California. Bonsai Bowls, go get some. Caliente Southwest Grill, clean, healthy Mexican food. Everything is made fresh daily using produce from local farms. Their salsa, their dressing, and even their marinades are made from fresh produce in-house, so almost all of the menu is naturally gluten-free and extremely clean. Family-owned, showing local love for 22 years. Check out their website, calientesouthwest.com, for all your party pack and catering needs. You can also call them at 949-515-0909, calientesouthwest.com. Ashland Hard Seltzer, made from all natural ingredients. No sugar, zero carbs, gluten-free. Great taste and guilt-free good times. Ashland Hard Seltzer. 
Shade Sunscreen. The best sunscreen for all surfers. Shade Sunscreen. It's been around since the sun. Shade, Shade. Sunscreen. Clearweather is a family-owned footwear brand started by our friends Josh and Brandon Brubaker. They are driven to create their own path in the corporate sneaker world. Less corporate, more independent. Clearweather. Clearweatherbrand.com. Fuwax is the best, ickiest, stickiest wax in the game. Fuwax. Late Night with Chalky is supported by Inherent Bummer. Surf entertainment, thoughtful writing, surf videos, music, and fresh hell for the core surf community. Remember, it's not the end of the world. Subscribe and check it all out at InherentBummer.com. Thanks for tuning in. We hope you enjoyed the show. Please give us a five-star rating and spread the word. Special thanks to our good friends, James Williams for our awesome artwork and Justin Reynolds for the amazing music. 